Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, Halloween weekend is here, sort mm-hmm. of, kind of like, eh, it's it's always weird when it's on a Monday, right? Yeah. Is there a best day of the week for Halloween? I feel like like if you're a kid, it's definitely Friday, right? Because you can get off school and you like go home, put your costume on, and then just immediately get to trick-or-treating. Assuming you don't have like a football game or something, which could throw like a wrench in it. But maybe like a, I'd say like a Saturday, Friday type vibe probably. Is it, because you don't get school off. You got to go to school, right? On Halloween? Yes. Not, yeah. So, I mean, you wear your costume. Wear your, your costume to school. On Friday. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. That makes sense. I think it's different for, it's probably different. Halloween is best on like, depending on where you're at in your life. If you're in college, I think it's maybe Thursday is the best day for it. Maybe, but maybe it's, maybe it is Saturday. As long as it falls on a weekend, then you can kind of justifying, you can kind of justify going to three different Halloween parties and just pretending like it's an entire weekend or if it's mm-hmm. Wednesday, you can mm-hmm. do the weekend before the weekend after it just kind of doesn't really matter, but Halloween on a Monday this year, it's happening. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know that I'll be dressing up. Can't say that I will don't have a costume picked out yet. Are you, 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 you usually trick or treat with Brittany, don't you? Yes. So we're going to Vegas obviously this weekend, but we That's have right. our neighborhood Halloween. Uh, one of my neighbors, like actually just hit me up on Facebook. He's like, Hey, you're going to be ready. And I realized I couldn't go 12 foot skeleton in the yard lights off. Hmm. So I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to participate. So I think what we're going to do is hit a spirit Halloween in Vegas by like the cheapest costumes they got and just bull in Vegas. And then maybe hit a spirit Halloween here. Cause I'm not packing the costumes. That would be ridiculous. No, no. Um, I will say really quick, I have ran into three people who give out full-size candy bars since we had that conversation. Okay, so they say they do or they they know of somebody that does that? No, Peyton, uh, my coworker Gina and one of my other coworkers. And Peyton and Gina, I definitely believe because they are some of the most big-hearted people I know. So I could definitely see them sitting there with big Wonka bars ready to give to some kids. All right. Hey, look, I, I'm I'm willing to admit when I'm wrong in these spots. If there are people out there who are actually giving out full-size candy bars and you have first-hand accounts, <laughs> not your friend Andrew, who guarantees you that he got a full-size candy bar one time, but a first-hand account, I stand corrected. That'd be fine. Maybe we'll go get some full-size candy bars ourselves and guarantee that kids don't come to our door. I don't know. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Great show lined up today. We have week nine, Chris Doring going to join us in a little bit, talk Florida, Georgia. We have home renovations in figuring it out and then loud mm-hmm. of the week, of course. And week nine, SEC picks, over-unders, the whole deal. But first, I have a little moment of panic when I get low on a bottle of Texas Pete. And it's a moment of panic because mm-hmm. I always think to myself, how many more days do I need to go to make this last? And usually yeah. it's, it's the rationing process begins when I could really just go to Publix, but I find that I still need a ton of Texas Pete on my eggs every single morning. It's a bit of panic. Oh, well, I deal with it. I'm dealing with that right now. I'll just buy a bottle probably tonight. That's the most likely solution. I should just never be low on Texas Mm -hmm. Pete. If you don't know, you somehow don't know, Texas Pete has the spice and flavor that's kicking this football season up a notch. If you haven't tried the original hot sauce or their new traditional barbecue sauce, run, don't walk to grab yourself a bottle today. Visit TexasPete.com for recipes and hot apparel. Plus take 20% off your entire order with promo code Saturday Down South. That is all one word, Saturday Down South. Win big with Texas Pete when you sauce like you mean it. Let's talk cocktail. Let's do it. <laughs> Florida, Georgia, Georgia, Florida, depending on where you're from. Georgia's a 22 and a half point favorite that much eh, somewhat expected for the number one team in the country. The over under I have one snap played for Carson Beck in this one. Ooh. Okay. 
This is the largest spread that we have seen in this game since spreads have become a thing that we track in the <laughs> late 90s. The odds makers are basically telling you Georgia will have a repeat of last year, which was a close game until the three Anthony Richardson turnovers happened in the final two and a half minutes of the first half. Though how much of that was the byproduct of Dan Mullen basically just saying, well, you guys want him to start? I'll go start up against the best defense of the 21st century. Good right. luck, kid. Yeah. Maybe it <laughs> the was. The best defense I've seen with my own two eyes. Get out there, kid. Figure it out. <laughs> Good luck. Enjoy it. Uh, I'm going to be honest. I'm surprised the spread was this lopsided. I, I really was. Uh, I agree that Georgia deserves to be a significant favorite. I still have some questions about this offense. That sounds weird because Georgia leads the country or leads the red zone, leads the SEC in red zone percentage. There we go. Third time's a charm. Mm -hmm. Georgia ranks fourth nationally in yards per play, tied for eighth nationally in scoring. And if actually, if you just want to look at games against power five competition, nobody with at least a three game sample size has been more efficient than Georgia in terms of yards per play. Those are all good things. And mm -hmm. I think the reason that we have a little bit of this skepticism about the Georgia offense right now is because if you think about it, the last time that you could really feel like this group had a great showing without a yeah, but was week three against South Carolina. Mm -hmm. The yeah, but I don't really need to explain it for Kent State, Mizzou. The yeah, but for Auburn was the passing game got off to such a slow start. That's an average less than seven yards per attempt for the game. And against mm -hmm. Vandy, the yeah, but was it's Vandy. So what, what else? Would <laughs> That's we it. There is no but. You just played Vandy. <laughs> played Vandy. Congratulations. Um, even coming off the bye, I find myself saying, all right, yeah, I need to see the passing game really get going for me to think that this Georgia team can flip it into overdrive like we talked about early in the year. And in theory, this matchup sets up well because Florida is allowing 9.2 yards per attempt against Power 5 competition, which only four teams with a three-game sample size are worse than. So that's bad. Mm -hmm. That's real bad. That sets up well for Georgia. Maybe that explains the spread. Alternatively, there's the argument that Georgia maybe won't need the passing game to be able to dominate this game. And if they can force Anthony Richardson into some mistakes again, they're going to be fine. I think the game plan for Billy Napier is to have those running looks for Richardson coming off of the bye. A chance for him to get a bit healthier. Also kind of significant. We haven't really talked about this a ton, but a chance for Jack Miller to get a little bit healthier as well. The backup who has been dealing with injuries all year, the Ohio State transfer, Maybe that gives Napier the freedom to be able to call more of those design runs for Anthony Richardson. If I'm Napier, the last thing that I want is Anthony Richardson sitting back there needing to go through two, three progressions every single time with the speed of that Georgia defense. They can confuse him. They can force him into some bad spots, and that can be all she wrote, just like we saw last year. So Georgia defense is not at 2021-type levels, but it's basically in the top four in all major categories. Measuring stick game for Billy Napier. That's what this is. Oh, this yeah. is, I mean, like last year, it was how far away has Georgia gotten from Georgia? And this year, it's not so much that. It's more so how far do we still have to go in order to hang with these guys? Because I don't think Dan Mullen fully grasped the magnitude of that, which is pretty baffling considering that not only was he at Florida for four years, but he was there as an offensive coordinator. Of course, he understood, one would think, <laughs> the importance of this rivalry, but it's different now against Kirby Smart, wherein talent acquisition is obviously such a major factor and why they've been able to separate from the pack. Mm -hmm. I still think Florida's a ways off. 
from being at that Georgia level, obviously in terms of talent and then in terms of depth. But here's what I wonder about. Can Florida actually approach a rivalry game playing loose? Specifically, can they approach this rivalry game playing loose? You don't have to worry about your coach's job security like you did last year or 2017 with Mac. You don't have to try and hold on to your spot in the division title race and worry about every little mistake is going to cost us a chance at the East and a chance to go to Atlanta because that was the case in three previous years before that, 2018, 2019, 2020. Can you be the team that can just go, hey, it would make our season to win this football game? It would. Mm -hmm. I don't think Florida wins this game. I don't. I'm not saying that. I think Florida keeps it close, though, and I think they avoid those colossal mistakes. Georgia pulls away two touchdown victory to stay unbeaten going into the Tennessee game. And here's something that I'm not sure if you picked up on, pick, picked up on, but my guy Perry brought this up and I thought it was telling Florida has now become the game that Georgia can't sleep on because they've got Tennessee, Mississippi state, and then Kentucky. Those last two are both road games. So Florida is the game where you're like, ah, oh, man, I just, if you're a Georgia fan, you're like, I, I just hope we don't sleep on Florida. That's that's telling. That tells you where this rivalry is at. Yeah. Well, thoughts on this one? Yeah. So first and foremost, uh, <laughs> two Florida fans. I've gotten uh, you know messages from you guys and everything. I'm sorry I had a little bit too much fun with the LSU game. Uh, I think that overall, if you guys have paid attention to me, and lots of Florida fans told me this that I had been really fair about Florida. I just happened to rub it in a little bit too much against LSU, and that's you know that's the name of the game sometimes. These big rivalry games. Um, you know, speaking of rivalry games, I do actually like Florida's chances, not necessarily to win this game, but to make it a really close game. Um, how chaotic would it be? I don't think Florida will beat Georgia. Let me just start off and say this, but if they make this game competitive, you're talking about a season where Florida is simultaneously fighting for bowl eligibility with a win over Utah, who has been awesome with a close loss to Tennessee, who has been awesome. Yeah. And you know, beat the dog at LSU and beat Bama. And then if they had a close loss to Georgia, who is obviously defending champions and everything, that's a lot to build on. Uh, just to be honest, I know I'm, I never want to be the moral victory guy. Um, but this is a game that, like you said, is a big measuring stick game. But if you look at Florida's season, they've had, I think, two styles of game, right? They've had the game like Utah, like Tennessee. And in those moments, you see Billy Napier and you say, okay, well, this is a guy who gets his guys to believe that they belong there. Then you have your games like, Mizzou, South Florida, USF, right? Where it's just like, uh, this team, was this an FCS team? What is happening here? And I somehow the LSU game was both of those. It was three yeah. quarters of the bad and then a quarter of the good. And so like point being, I, I think that against like, you like Billy Napier's game planning and his aggressiveness against a team that feels vulnerable. We saw it in Utah. We were both big Utah guys coming into the year and Utah played, you know, tight, and Florida was able to hit these big plays down the field. Um, now, that being said, to your point, I think that in the aggregate, and it's so funny that you bring up that point about yards per play, because you watch Georgia and you think like, ah, you know, they had the Mizzou game, like they had the Kent State game. This is not an explosive offense. But then you see some of these other games, and, and you know, credit, a lot of their wins are looking better too, not just Florida's, the Oregon win, the South Carolina well, now good. ranked ranked South Carolina that they, yep. you know, beat the stew out of. So not taking anything away from that. Um, you know what I'm saying? But 
I, I think it's funny you think about this team and it's a team that's kind of looked sluggish at times, whereas Florida is this team that hits these vertical passes, has these big against Tennessee, against LSU. And what that speaks to is consistency. And I think that that's what Georgia has on its side today. I think overall, Anthony Richardson, as we talked about, is a guy that can make, you know, three to five plays in a game that you're just like, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. But then he's out there for way more plays than that. And I think Stetson Bennett is like the opposite of that, where it's like, Hey, I mean, other than his, you know, elite rushing touchdown that we saw. Uh, the Daniel he, Jones rushing touchdown, yeah. Yes, exactly. The one where you're like, is this guy, like, is he in slow motion? How is no one catching him? But, hey, credit to Stetson, the athlete. He's been pretty good in the red zone this year, to your point about the red zone offense. But yeah. that's how Georgia does it. They're methodical. You know what I'm saying? They they move the ball five yards at a time. They get those tight ends involved. They get those backs involved, and they will just suffocate you. And so for I think this is a kind of a win on both sides, as much as I hate to say it, and I could be totally wrong. Georgia can come in there, and Kirby is a big-time send-the-message guy. Don't get me wrong. Like, Kirby could come out and win this game by 40, and it would shock nobody. But I think that – and this is a game – you know, that was the speech last year, or one of them, one of the many that he had last year. Um, so So – but, like, point being, like – this is this is a game that I could see like Georgia could come out of it and be like we beat a rival, you know what I'm saying? We controlled the game, we played our brand of football while Florida was still able to say we did enough to have these little bright spots where we could say maybe one day we can be in a position. I'm interested in what both fan bases want from this game. Yeah. What would be considered good moving forward and what would make you sleep better on Saturday night when you get that hour back of daylight saving time? I, I think, yeah, that's this weekend, right? Halloween weekend, mm-hmm. we get the hour back. Mm-hmm. That's the way that it works. Love that. Yeah. What, what would make you sleep better in that extra hour for Georgia? I, I do think it is the passing game. Like it's really well documented, but I think if all of a sudden you have wide receivers that are coming out and looking like, wow, this is, this is what we saw to start off the season. I think that would make them feel better. And then I don't know with Florida that it's so much, you would feel better to see these spectacular plays from Anthony Richardson. I think if you saw a repeat of the Tennessee performance, you'd be, you'd be thrilled. To see that against Georgia, that would be a Mm -hmm. great sign against a defense this good. And then if you saw your defense, give your team a chance. Because that's, I think, what is most realistic in terms of setting any sort of expectations to meet is having your defense that can actually get off the field on third down, something that we'll talk about with Chris Doring as well and why Florida has really struggled with that. But something that I think would be beneficial for Florida moving forward and make you feel like, all right, you know what? That's only year one of the Napier era, but we feel like this is going to be something that we talk about next year. And maybe just maybe we'll be in that sneaky territory next year to where we have a puncher's chance to be able to pull off this upset. Cause I do think it would still be an upset next year mm-hmm. would be putting those things together and making this a somewhat competitive game in the second half, wherein you have a chance and you're just not getting laughed out of the building like you have so many times in this rivalry under Kirby Smart. And I realize not every game has been a blowout. He's had a couple of one-touchdown wins. But still, I, I do think that there are positives to be gained from both. And I wonder if that's what both of these fan bases are kind of thinking going in would be like, all right, now we feel we feel good about the direction of our of our program, as you would say. Our program. Yes. And I think you hit the nail on the head too. It's something that I definitely should have brought up is that it is about Florida's defense. Anthony Richardson can make all the special plays in the world, but at the end of the day, that Georgia defense, we know what they are. 
And the Florida defense, unfortunately, we also know what they have been. <laughs> and so, and what, you know what I'm saying? It goes both ways. So I think that recruiting is something that shows up on the defensive side of the ball a lot more, in my opinion, than the offense when it comes to, you, know, you got the transfer portal, you can get yourself a quarterback, a running sure. back, a receiver. But on defense is where you really see these guys making progress. And that's where Kirby has started to really eat in the East is with these big guys on defense. And so, yeah, I think to your point, if you're the Florida defense, hopefully – you can kind of limit this offense to make it look bad. But again, if you're the Georgia offense and your game plan is to lean forward on people and get five or six yards at a time, unfortunately, this is probably the perfect defense to do that against. It probably is. And even though I, I've, I've really liked Desmond Watson, I, I, he's been just a joy to watch. Will's favorite. <laughs> our boy. Our our big special boy. We love him so much. Unbelievable. Love the fact that he's already had the two games with 40-plus snaps this year. Just a tip of the cap to the big old <laughs> lad in the middle of that Florida defense. He's just an absolute treat. Uh, but yeah, I think Georgia wins this game, and I think it's more of like a, a two-touchdown victory in which Florida is some what encouraged by the way that things play out all right arkansas three and a half point favorite against auburn the over under i have will is 198 arkansas rushing yards why 198 is it my favorite number it's always a reason auburn allowed 198 rushing yards per game in 2012 irrelevant who the coach was that year we don't need to discuss that This year's group, fresh off a 448 rushing yard day that Ole Miss put up on Auburn, which 247 Sports pointed out, was the worst by the program that they had allowed since the Richard Nixon administration. Oh, goodness. Yeah, it was bad. It was real bad. Um, Auburn's allowing 204 rushing yards a game this year. Mm -hmm. You get the bye week. One would think, all right, defensive line, maybe get a little bit of time. You get a chance to, and they have injury issues that could impact and not really make much of a difference with the bye week, but maybe you get a chance to show up a little bit fresher. It's also Arkansas, who also had a bye, who gets a little bit of a break for Rocket Sanders and KJ Jefferson. Maybe those things matter. Maybe we will end up just saying, ah, the bye week, eh, oh well, kind of negates those two things, but Mm -hmm. this feels like a horrible matchup for Auburn. It does. And I think Auburn fans have been saying this all week. (laughs) Like it just, it just does. Like when I close my eyes and try and picture Auburn shutting down this Arkansas ground attack, I'm just, I'm searching for answers because you don't necessarily have the offense to fight back in the same sort of way that you did last year. And think about this game last year, this group, the Auburn's defense was top 30 nationally against the run. I mean, Mm -hmm. They, they won a game at Arkansas because of how well they played in the second half. A Brian <laughs> Harson team played well in the second half on offense. Amazing. I mean, Auburn won this game to get into the top 10. Mm-hmm. In late October. And they did so despite the fact that Arkansas had 232 rushing yards. And they did a lot of the things well that they had been doing that they had been doing successfully all year with KJ Jefferson. But again, the difference that Bo Nix performance, who is suddenly just the greatest quarterback that we've ever seen. Yeah, suddenly. Yeah. West coast. Bo Nix is a new, a new dude, a new bro date. Mike, nice to meet me. Good yep. Lord, man. He has just been on an absolute tear. Um, but the way that I kind of look at this and I think that, these, these teams are are obviously different, even though they have you know the same coaches as they had last year. 
I just don't necessarily know that Auburn can come off of a buy and do anything differently. I don't like, what are you selling if you're Brian Harson at this point? Hey, mm-hmm. I, I know that we're one and eight in our last nine games against power five competition. And our fan base has basically accepted that our upside is going back to the Birmingham bowl, but keep fighting. In fact, while we're at it, let's have some fun because if you have fun, you start winning football games. That's the way that works. Mm-hmm. I don't think you could snap your fingers and make that adjustment. I just don't I, call me a skeptic, whatever. I, I would be all for Robbie Ashford making plays. I think Robbie Ashford when he's cooking is really fun. I do. Oh, yeah. Like we kind of saw some of that against Ole Miss where maybe you just need to bench him, just bench him <laughs> to start the first possession. Just Throw- don't put Finley in just like play wildcat in that yeah. snap that you Hunter and Bigsby going back and forth. Wow. Yeah. Look, Do the old Cadillac Williams, Ronnie Brown from the Dolphins, and then just don't play a quarter. Yeah. Cadillac's the running backs coach. All right. He can make this happen. All right. He okay. controls it's the running backs. So we, we can make this happen. This is a big brain idea. Get Robbie Ashford looking like the best version of himself. That'd be great. I'd be all for that. I just don't necessarily think that can happen in a game like this. And, you know, I find myself thinking that both teams probably wanted to play another game after what they did two weeks ago, because they finally both got some momentum in the passing game. And what Arkansas Mm -hmm. did up there in Provo was really impressive. And even what we saw from Auburn in the passing game was unlike anything that we had seen to start off the year from them against actual competition. And so, I, I do wonder if maybe some of that momentum is kind of killed and that, that's going to be a little bit tougher to get going, but uh, I'll take Arkansas to win by a touchdown on the road. They'll avenge the two losses to Auburn to start off the, the Pittman era. Will, any faith in Auburn? <laughs> I think it's funny that you brought up that game. I was just talking to one of my coworkers who went to Auburn and he kind of like, I was like, yeah, you know, this is the last, uh, the last SEC West team that hasn't beaten Brian Harson, And it kind of like, oh. we started talking about these like couple of games and it's like, why was I in on Harson for a period of time? And, and that was when we had started doing the podcast, obviously. And there was this stretch. Uh, it's crazy that you talked about this as well, where it's like, yeah, they were about to go into the day and beaten Arkansas. They beat Ole Miss. They lost to Georgia, but so did everybody else. They beat LSU, um, scrappy Georgia state team. They beat as well. And you were sitting there and it was like, Oh my gosh, this seems like a pretty good hire. Like they have the, the, um, the Gus defense with like a new kind of offense that they were kind of fitting together. And then, you know, Bo Nix's injury, I feel like just can't be looking back. I can't be overstated enough because if they not, not to do the whole like what if thing, but it's like, he obviously was good enough during those games. And obviously, you know, came apart during A&M. We were all there for it. I understand. Yeah, it but it, yeah. Right. But it's like, they went from a team that was kind of on the rise and like a fun team to this team that just utterly fell apart down the stretch. And then you had the whole thing in the off season, which just goes to show how much about college football is momentum and vibes, because to think that this team beat Ole Miss and Arkansas last year and a great Arkansas team, a very, different Arkansas team than yeah. the one this year is so crazy looking back and it's like we, we've done like the whole you know Brian Harson job watch thing like I get it but it's just it, but at the same time you know if you're an Auburn fan this is like a classic game that in previous years Auburn could win so I don't want to totally ever count them out because it's Auburn like the minute remember as soon as we counted them out last year this is what made me remember it they started winning and as soon as we started believing in them they lost. Yeah. And so that's, that was like talking to my buddy. I was like, yeah, like this is the game that Harson wins and saves his job for two more weeks. And then they play Alabama and it's over. And so like, you just never know, man. You just, I hate to be that guy, but it's like, would it shock me if they finally, like you said, the passing game finally looked like it was getting going. Would it shock me if against this Arkansas pass defense, suddenly they all had the magic? No, but considering that Arkansas, to your point, had an amazing game against BYU and our boy, 
Um, our boy, uh, why can't I think of his name? The Arkansas quarterback. KJ Jefferson, yes. Of course, KJ. Lots of two initials. But yeah, um, our boy KJ finally looked right, you know, for the first time, you know, not maybe not this season, but he was in last season form for the first time, I feel, against I BYU. Agree. And so hopefully... The best we can hope for is a shootout in this game, right? That's just That's a great. goofy, a goofy back and forth shootout. Let's root for that. I think. I, I think that would be a welcome sight, considering yeah. this game could get ugly and it could feel like, oh yeah. Our, I mean, Arkansas's ground game, I think, is fun to watch when it gets going, and mm-hmm. Rocket Sanders breaking open a long run is is great to watch. I love watching Peak Tank. I mean, getting to see Peak Tank against Ole Miss was great. I mean, that, that, that's fun. Like I, I don't, it doesn't necessarily have to be like, you know, these two quarterbacks looking great in the passing game. So I don't mean to say like, Oh, this game can only be fun if Ashford and KJ look like what they did two weeks ago, but I just want this game to feel like it's not just Auburn laying down and all oh, this team is kind of left for dead. That's boring to me. That, that, would, that would be really, really boring. It'd be kind of sad because I feel bad for guys on that Auburn defense who are still out there doing whatever they can. You know, Nehemiah Pritchett, Derek Hall, these guys who are doing whatever they can in their pre-draft season to try and not look terrible. And instead, yeah. I worry that those guys are going to be on the field way too long and it's going to be in the fourth quarter. They're going to be like, oh my God, we got to tackle KJ. We Here tackle we go again. Rocket again. Like, get me off the field right now. So, yeah, I think I do think Arkansas wins this game and uh, wins it by at least a touchdown in this one. To to your point, real quick, you talked about this in the last spot. I sort of picked it up again. Barry Odom very much in the hot seat. This could be one of those games where it's like, if they look bad against Oliver, yeah. it's like, brother, <laughs> brother, we need to get Barry Odom up out of here. He is the problem. Yeah, I don't. I don't know where, where exactly Sam Pittman's going to go with that decision because. If you were trying to go out and get a defensive coordinator, he's kind of the type of guy that you would want. So that's that's the tricky thing. You you have to get a real up and comer. You'd have to feel really good about having a plan to be able to replace him and having the the right personnel. But I do agree. It's kind of feels like we're getting to some pivotal games with he and then Marcus Satterfield as well, South Carolina offensive coordinator. Speaking of South Carolina. They are number 25 in the country. They are ranked for the first time since 2018. Let's go, Cox. How about it? As Josh Pate would say, it is Cocktober for a little bit longer. They're four and a half point favorites at home against Mizzou. The over-under I have, this is kind of depressing. 200 passing yards for either quarterback. Oh. (laughs) I guess a good number. (laughs) I know. Look, I I I got a couple of numbers here that are just going to bum you out. They will. Spencer Rattler has yet to have a 200-yard zero turnover day. Yeah. Yeah. Brady Cook has only had one game with 200 passing yards and zero turnovers, but it was against an FCS team, so it doesn't really count. Right. Against Power 5 competition, Rattler, 2-4 to TD-DINT ratio. Cook, 2-5 to TD-DINT ratio. But here's the weird thing, and this is, this is how I bring you back, Mizzou fans, South Carolina fans. If I had told Mizzou fans in the preseason, hey, going into Halloween weekend, your team is only going to be minus 11 in SEC play, they would have probably been like, oh, wow. So Brady Cook is working out. The offense is doing things. Luther Burden is happy. Everything's great. And if I had told South Carolina fans in the preseason, hey, going into Halloween weekend, you're going to be five and two. You're going to be in the midst of your longest winning streak of the playoff era. They probably would have been like, oh, wow. So Spencer Rattler's working out. The offense is doing things. These passing, these passing weapons are being utilized. Great. Neither of them are doing things. They're not. They really aren't. They've both been pretty frustrating. They have. They're doing things. 
those things are not the correct thing. <laughs> They're not. They're not. And look, I, I did my 10 most disappointing players in the SEC so far, uh, SaturdayDownSouth.com, Saturday shameless plug. Rattler made the list for me. And I, I was one of the people saying coming into the year, I had him at number five in my SEC quarterback rankings. And I, I thought the scheme and the personnel would make it work. And I actually don't think, surprisingly, I don't think his attitude has been a problem at all. If anything, I think that's been preventing things from being worse. And I think he's actually done really well to make strides in that area. But I just continue to think that Marcus Satterfield is running a scheme that doesn't really fit this personnel because the protection isn't great. Rattler has too many of these bad habits, even when he does get that time. And that's not necessarily something that's automatically going to correct itself. But here's the good news for South Carolina. Your special teams, phenomenal. Beamer ball, of course, it's in full effect. Mm -hmm. Your defense making really nice progress after a kind of disappointing start to the season. Go back to the Arkansas game and you see some of the issues that they had and you're like, oh boy, this is going to be a lot of pressure that's put on the offense throughout the year. That hasn't actually been the case. Mm -hmm. And with this game being played at Williams-Brice, South Carolina fans can literally just start chanting to give Marshawn Lloyd more carries. Yep. We want Marshawn. Like, Satterfield <laughs> can hear that. Right. He's yeah, that's a fact. He actually, if it, if it's so loud, he can't call a place. He literally has to do it. So I would yes. encourage it actually. Yeah, Rattler's just in the huddle and he's saying, "Well, all I hear is we want Marshall, so I'm just going to hand this guy the football. I'll just go block for him, all right? Or he'll mm -hmm. hurdle somebody. He'll make it happen." Uh, Look, I, I, I'm so excited for Marshawn Lloyd. I am, and I really hope he ends up staying. He's I've been saying this for the last week or so, that he's one of the two or three guys that I'm going to be sitting on pins and needles in December when he makes his NFL decision. I'm like, please come back. Please come back. Please come back. Anthony mm -hmm. Richardson, another one of those guys. Different reasons, I think, for the way that that's kind of played out. Spencer Rattler, another guy that I'd like to see come back. I'd like to see him put it all together. The tools are phenomenal. He makes some throws that you just cannot teach, but I'd still like to see him develop a little bit more. You get what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Mizzou, non-Vandy road games under drink. Any guesses, Will? Like just wins? Non-Vandy road games under drink. What's the okay. record? Yep. What's the record? Yeah. Well, let's see. You play, I guess, four year, right? Good. Non-Vandy. That's the hard part. So I think the Florida one was at home. I'm going to say, is he like winless? He's one in ten. He's one in 10. The lone win, again, non-Vandy road wins. That's what we're talking about here. Yeah. The lone win, 2020 at South Carolina. So, return to the scene of the crime. <laughs> Quietly, yeah. I bet you could impress your friends by saying, did you know that Mizzou's got three consecutive wins against South Carolina? Interesting. One wouldn't think that might explain the spread. Or maybe mm -hmm. it's because Mizzou just loses close games. That's what they've done all year. They've played all these teams within a one score. in close games because they beat Vandy close. So let's be spin doctors here. They True. play Those boys play four. If you buy a ticket to a Mizzou game, you're getting four quarters of action usually. Yes, yes. They are the ultimate play to the competition team, unless that competition is Kansas State with Adrian Martinez and Deuce Vaughn, in which case they can't stay on the field with them. But everybody else pretty much, they, you know, they at least stay on the field with. That's good. Yeah. Um, I'll take South Carolina to win by a touchdown. I think it's got a low-scoring game. The actual over-under for this game is 46 and a half. Will, another question for you. Oh, boy. Only three Power 5 games with two Power 5 teams. So that's what we're talking about here. That have a lower over-under than this one. So lower than 46 and a half. Mm -hmm. Can you name what one of those might be? Is Iowa playing this week, Connor? <laughs> yes, Iowa's playing this weekend, Will. 
Is, is that one of them? Yes, it is. They are playing Northwestern. Yeah. Oh, easy money. If I knew that game was on the board, that would have been a first-round pick. What do you think that over-under is? Oh, man. I mean, if it could be negative, it would be. I'm going to say, like, let's let's say, like, 35. 37 and a half. Okay. Yeah. Okay, makes so, sense. Borderline shootout, basically. Mm-hmm. Yikes, that game's going to suck. If you watch that game, you're you're a true sicko. You're, you are the sicko of the year. Especially if you're okay, if you're a non-Iowa, non-Northwestern, non-gambler, and you're watching <laughs> that game by choice, I, look, couldn't be me, couldn't be me. I'll Listen, find other things. What you need to do is throw that game on the second screen, make yourself a nice little thing of coffee, look out into the beautiful land of the sun, and just be like, "Thank goodness for the South." Right? You know what I'm saying? You had to watch games like that every week for a long time, and now it's just like, hey. The worst we're going to get is like that wild Vandy Mizzou game, which was a pretty good game, weirdly. Okay, in my defense, at least growing up in the 90s in the Big Ten, you could have your Ron Danes, all right? They're going to run the football. They at least had a dimension on offense. (laughs) These teams can't even do that. They can't do anything. Northwestern is one in six. They haven't won a game on this continent. They're terrible. It, that was the best part of the Scott Frost thing is they beat Scott Frost and then potentially they just have not once <laughs> came back to America and were like, we forgot how to play football. This is really yeah. bad. Oh, yeah, we were all just record. here for the field trip. Actually, we yeah. don't really want to go to class. We're actually going to be gone the rest of the week. <laughs> the combined record of the, the teams that have beat Nebraska, like what they've done after that, because like Oklahoma is another one of those. It's yeah. so bad. Oh, my God. Even Georgia Southern's another one. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. Really bad. Um, okay. A game that is way, way better than that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Kentucky, Tennessee. Kentucky's number 19 in the country. Tennessee, number three. Tennessee's a 12 and a half point favorite. The over under, I have three mentions of Georgia. Georgia fans, that is not my way of telling you that you get to tell every Kentucky fan or every Tennessee fan, red free, red free. <laughs> You're still going to do that. I realize that. But. Yes. Both teams have yet to face Georgia. Obviously, Tennessee has Georgia next week, so the idea of a sleeper matchup kind of on the table in some ways, but not so much in others. It's wild to think about a couple of things here. One is that this is getting primetime billing on ESPN. Fowler, Herbie on the call. Matt Jones, shout out KSR. He was saying that he thought this was the first time that Kentucky will play in a game in which Herb Street is on the call. That's a big deal. Think about huh? that. It That's makes crazy. Sense, though. Yeah, yeah. 3.30 on CBS, they, they get their first priority, right? So they get, you know, when they play against Georgia last year, they've, they've had a couple of those. So it's not that they haven't had those opportunities, but to be playing at an ESPN primetime game at night with those two on the call, which mm-hmm. again, their schedule isn't automatically like the number one game of the week. They sometimes get a little bit of the shaft in that. But that says a lot to me that mm-hmm. that is very telling to be kind of at this place with both of these programs. And I don't think they're making that decision unless both of these teams have fun offenses. And they do think about where these programs were at offensively in 2020, when they last met in Knoxville, mm-hmm. Jared Garantano against our favorite neighbor, Terry Wilson, man, hold on, hold on, hold on. Spencer Rattler, Brady cook, Jared Garantano, Terry Wilson, rank them. Okay, based on who I'd most want to have a group have a beer with, Terry Wilson number one. Not of course, close. We love Terry. Mm-hmm. I think I don't know Brady Cook very well. I don't. I don't know if I don't, I don't know how much of a lad he is. 
um, which I realized you asked an entirely different question, but I didn't want to answer that question. I just want to answer who I'd want to have a beer with. Fair. This is a random question. Did take it over you want. I actually kind of like Jared Garantano in terms of his demeanor. And obviously when you are a failed program at a big time, you're a failed quarterback at a big time program. You're always going to kind of be the butt of a lot of jokes. He'd be number two on my, on my list. And then I'd kind of blindly put Brady cook at three. And then look, I, <laughs> just cause he's not Spencer I don't want to say that I could never, I'd like to think that I could get along with pretty much anybody. I pride myself on kind of being in those situations. I have friends that are of very different backgrounds, different political backgrounds, different religious backgrounds, different upbringings, all these, all these different things. Spencer Rattler just probably wouldn't be my guy. He just wouldn't yeah. be one of my boys. That's fine. That's he doesn't need to be. All that matters is those guys in the huddle like him. Mm-hmm. We're not we're not grabbing a, a big wave anytime soon. We're not. It's, mm-hmm. it's not happening. Good question. He's, defi- <laughs> he's definitely a Stella guy. Anyway. I'm a Stella guy. Maybe we wow, are. Wow, you guys might have that in common. <laughs> Stella's a good wedding beer. It's a good That's wedding fair. beer. You know that they're going to have it there. Every once in a while, you can get a little bit of a special glass to make your make yourself feel like you're classy, even though you know, it's a Stella. It kind of is what it is. But mm-hmm. I don't mind a Stella. I got a Stella glass chilling in the freezer right now. If Spencer Rattler is a Stella guy, hey, let's have a pint. Let's talk about it sometime, guy. I'm sorry, I didn't you Continue. Uh, we're gonna get him on the podcast like during free draft season. I'm gonna go run to my freezer, get my stall glass, and just be like, thoughts. What's How's up? it going, bro? And he's gonna be like my favorite. <laughs> this guy, I need him. Come do a podcast with me. You're my pre-draft guy. Let's go. Um, all right, what are we talking about? Yeah, uh Kentucky, Tennessee. The last quarterback matchup in this game in 2020. I at yes. least got you there. There we go. There we go. So these offenses in 2020. They had a combined four pass plays of 40 yards all season. All season through week eight this year. (laughs) Kentucky, nine passing plays of 40 yards. That's seventh in America. Tennessee has 18. I can't even count that high. That's number one in America. Darn good. They are totally different. You've got two legitimate NFL prospects at quarterback. They have three stud receivers to work with. That's assuming Cedric Tillman is back for this one. But even if he isn't, Ramel Keaton, he's still really solid. He's been good in his place. Mm-hmm. I give Tennessee and Kentucky a lot of credit because, Will, you and I can watch these games and we can say, oh, the scheme is outdated. They need to overhaul their offense. Shout out to Jimbo. But what I'm guilty of, and I think a lot of people are, we're guilty of overlooking the time and energy that it takes to actually rebuild offensive philosophies, both to find the right scheme, to find the right person to run that scheme, to find the right personnel to develop, and to be able to master that scheme and to have guys who truly buy into what you're doing and don't just want to go rogue and do their own thing. And it's not a given that it works out that way. I'm interested if teams like Iowa or Wisconsin or AM um, can evolve their offenses and find the right personnel because it's not easy. And even though I think Kentucky and Tennessee have been able to do that kind of quicker than expected. And maybe that's going to be the new example of, Hey, we can overhaul this thing just like that. If we, <laughs> if we make the right decisions with the way that the transfer portal works now, maybe that's going to kind of open the door for some of these other programs who have been like, ah, toe in the water. Maybe we'll try some of these three receiver sets up in here at Wisconsin and see how that works. Mm-hmm. Maybe not. Now you just go all in with it. Maybe that's the idea. And maybe we see more programs do that. I mean, will how many times did you have to hear about LSU during the late Les Miles years talk about mm. offensive transformation and we need to change our scheme? And if only we did this, this, and this, boom, it's going to be it's going to be night and day different. 
you know what's funny is they found that guy in 2013. Cameron. You're right. And they, they then went back to the old way. That was the sad thing is they actually sold us this. We bought it. It worked. And then it was like, don't worry. The next guy will be better. Yep. Brother, was he not better? Whoever that guy was for the next like couple of years, they went through a couple of them. But yeah, that, that's the most frustrating thing about LSU. And I'm sure you can look back maybe – Maybe like the Russell Wilson years with Wisconsin and just be like, yeah, there was a time when they could throw the ball, but they've just decided to not now. So, yeah. Shout out Paul Chris, who's the offensive coordinator there. That's why he got the Wisconsin job Yeah, in the first place. So everything comes full circle. That's the way that that works. These teams are getting a huge stage and they deserve it. That's what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. What actually happens in this game? I think on paper, Kentucky actually matches up pretty darn well with Tennessee. I think they do. We know the Vols have their very well-documented pass defense issues. Mm-hmm. This Kentucky team can actually exploit that. Will Levis mm-hmm. getting a bye week at the right time to maybe get somewhat healthy. He hit the turf toe, the left shoulder. Great post-game comment with, with Cole Kubelik, by the way, talking about, yeah, hey, it's my left shoulder. Who cares? All right, it's not my right <laughs> shoulder. I'm fine. Just Rip it off. Nerve. I'll go back out there. I'll bend yeah. my finger back in place. <laughs> Will, Will, you need to be able to take snaps from under center, right? You, you need an other, another arm, all right? You understand that's important. Ah, no, I'll just take it one. No big deal. <laughs> uh, but yeah, look, I, I think that Will Levis gets a chance to kind of get healthy. Barry and Brown is going to be fun to watch moving forward. Could be fun to watch in this matchup. You need some home run plays to be able to hang with Tennessee. Barry Brown, the Nashville native who somehow escaped that state and went to Kentucky, already turning into a star. He can Mm -hmm. silence 100,000 fans in a hurry. And based on some of the comments from him about Tennessee fans, maybe not liking him because he picked Kentucky, wouldn't surprise me if it meant a little bit more to him back in his home state. Last year in this game, Tennessee comes out firing, had the two 70-yard touchdowns in the first quarter, including the one on the very first play. And Kentucky looked like a team that didn't know what hit them. And this was just, we're still figuring out who this Tennessee offense is. It's going to be a little bit different. I think this team Mm -hmm. tackles in space better this year. And unlike last year's team, who was coming off of the Mississippi State game, wherein the defense spent 41 minutes on the field, Kentucky gets a little bit of extra rest coming into that. I think you need that against Tennessee. You really do. So here's the other thing about this Kentucky defense. Only four passing touchdowns allowed all year. They are tied with Georgia for second in America, right? That's it. Just four. Okay. They're, they're top 15 nationally in opposing quarterback rating, yards per attempt allowed, and 30-yard pass plays allowed. Just six of them that they've allowed all year. I promise that I'm not... I'm going to say something that some Tennessee fans will take as, oh, you're just minimizing them. You're just saying that they took advantage of, of bad defenses, blah, blah, blah. No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. Look, we we are hen dogs. We are. I think everyone from listening. Day one. A1 day one. A1 since day one. And listen, we saw this man play and they took Joe Milton out. We didn't. You were on the hen dog trade from when Joe Milton was starting and we were right. So, and you had them beating Georgia this year. Front pew. Just oh, yes. sitting there, hands in the air, eyes closed, singing the hen dog gospel. We were. <laughs> the, hem, the, the hen dog hymns. <laughs> that was us. So, all right. So, don't take this the wrong way, Tennessee fans. Do not. No top 30 passing defenses they've faced yet. Mm-hmm. In their final five games, beginning with Kentucky, they'll face at least three and possibly four if Mizzou sneaks in there because they're at number 31 right now. Mm-hmm. And I, I realized, look, Tennessee and Tennessee fans just said, well, you idiot, of course, they haven't faced top 30 passing defenses because when Tennessee puts up all these passing yards, they drop out of the top 30. I get that. Right. We've had seven, eight games, though. That's a big enough sample size. All right. They have they have done exactly what you could have hoped for. 
all the only reason I bring that up is because I think this challenge is going to be there and it's going to be really difficult to sustain what they have done with the amount of good passing defenses that they will face. And if they do sustain it, it'll be that much more impressive. So great stat from Cole here, by the way, Tennessee Mm -hmm. has scored 30 points in 10 consecutive games, longest streak in program history. They've never done that. Amazing. Oh yeah. Kentucky is allowed 24 points or less in 11 consecutive games, which is the longest active streak in FBS. It is the classic. You know, we love this. We love this in the sports media world. Something's got to give. It does. <laughs> it absolutely does. So who wins? Will? you know the answer to this question. I don't even have to ask it. But when was the last time that Kentucky went on the road and beat an AP top five team? Was it the Jimmy Carter administration? Of course it was. It'd be weird if it wasn't, right? At this point, yeah. I mean, come on. Is there anybody more synonymous with Kentucky football than the Jimmy Carter administration? I mean, let's be real here. Certainly. Uh, yeah. Georgian native. <laughs> of course. Uh, this to me is a lucky to get out of live game for Tennessee. I do. I don't think it'll be pretty at times. I wouldn't be surprised if Tennessee trailed in the fourth quarter and is having to mount a comeback. But I think the balls put their faith in Hendon Hooker. I think it's a special team's mistake from Kentucky. Thrilling back and forth game. Tennessee wins by three. Real close. Real close to quote the great Lee Corso. How do you see this one playing out? I <laughs> try to think about how I say this because I know I've done enough to upset Georgia fans already. Um, there's we'll a legend that counts as one, by the way. One. To the oh, there we go. Free. Yes. Yeah. Rent free for sure. <laughs> and I have lots of Georgia fan friends. I obviously live in Georgia, but. The, the the narrative about Will Levis, right, is that he's still kind of in that top five of these mock drafts, but he still kind of hasn't had that game, right? He mm. still hasn't had the game. And I'll say this, the Ole Miss game was if he had won that game, which we talked about, the fact that he was on the field at the end of that game is impressive. I'm not taking away from that, but he did ultimately lose that game, you know what I'm saying, with the ball in his hands. And so I think that for Hendon Hooker, or sorry, for um Willis, why did I just say Willis? Will Levis. These are two different people. Three, anyway, for Will Levis, if you want to sell yourself to the NFL, you have to have this moment where you're in a big atmosphere. You command a team. You consistently play four quarters of football. And I think that Tennessee is such a great opportunity to do that because their winning game script is one of up and down football. Now, to your point, this is a matchup in which objectively Kentucky has had a better defense. That's just a factual statement. I think that if Tennessee was going to be beaten, it was it's clearly on the defensive end because their offense is among the best I've ever seen with my eyes so far. Their offense is so dynamic with the things that they do with small and the boys on the ground. And you got all these receivers. They're just growing out of the Tennessee soil. It doesn't matter they didn't have Cedric Tillman. It doesn't matter. They have just dudes for days. Like, I love their offense. But you would think that, you know, obviously football is in phases. And in the phase of the game where Will Levis is on offense, he needs to win the game there because we know Hendon Hooker is going to do what he's going to do. You know, and it might be a short, it might be a low scoring game to your point. It might be a rock fight. You don't want to get in a rock fight with Mark Stoops. You just don't. That's true. He is the, he is the rock fight personified. He's like the Pokemon Golem. He's just sitting there casting rock slide over and over again, hitting you with rocks. You don't want to get into a rock fight with him. And so point being, if you're Will Levis, you you have the opportunity to 
silence a lot of those doubters, you know, from the Georgias, from the NFL standpoint where it's like, yeah, this guy has all these tools, but he makes these errors and he has these turnovers and he just hasn't put together a game. You can overcome this scheme. So I say this, I really, again, hope for this to be a little bit of a shootout where we get to see both of these quarterbacks. Hendon Hooker, I think, hopefully has done enough to put himself on some NFL radars. I haven't like looked that deep into mock, mock drafts, um, but he's hopefully – yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like he's creeping up there. It's not quite, you know, on, on in that like upper echelon yet, yep. but he certainly has had a season that should in normal years would determine that they just have a lot of pretty good QBs. But anyway, so point being for Kentucky, you know, you have this game, you obviously still have to play Georgia for Tennessee to your point, you have to play them next week. So this is definitely not a look ahead game, but this is a good example of like, how deep the East has been. And we talked about, you know, South Carolina now ranked all these different teams and their quarterbacks, not talking about Spencer Rattler, but almost everybody else. Um, minus, minus Fanny as well. But like point being, I, I just think like this game is such like both phases of this game are going to be awesome. Like this is going to be a like, don't grab a drink game in my opinion, because the one thing about both of these teams is they have had opportune and inopportune turnovers. They have had turnovers that have won them games. And like Tennessee has had a turnover that could have and should have lost them a game if they didn't have, you know, an insane end of that game. And so point being like, this is a, a, this is every play could be a 60 yard bomb. Every play could be a strip sack, hopefully for the type of game that we want to see. So that that's my only thing as a Will Levis versus Hinden angle. I, I do think it's going to be a close game that Tennessee ultimately wins. But I think that Mark Stoops, we keep saying it, dude, you got it. You got to do one of these. You got to do one of them, dude. Yeah. Sure would have been Ole Miss, but it wasn't. So you have a chance. And if you do it, we get to talk about Jimmy Carter again. That's yes. Look, hadn't been done in a very, very long time. Of course, a, a Kentucky team that has one win in Knoxville since 1985. So you talk about trying to get on a national stage and do these things that change the perception of your program. Go out, beat a Tennessee team that everybody is sipping the Kool Aid on now. That's <laughs> how, that's how you do it. That's how you do uh, something that I, I think with. Like I said, with Herbie and Fowler on the call, it's going to feel <laughs> bigger. It will absolutely feel bigger. And those decisions that are made by Will Levis, Hendon Hooker will obviously magnify that. But I can't wait for this one. It's kind of nice that we get a game like this after the cocktail party and a game that feels so significant for not only for those th those two quarterbacks, but obviously for these two programs as a whole and what they're trying to do. Mm -hmm. Okay, another great one, Saturday night. It's a great little bit. Look at the same game. Here. This, this is a night game, right? I'm gonna I'm gonna look this up right now because I forgot if this is if this is gonna be at night. Yes, this is 7:30 College Station, of course. I don't know how I forgot that. Number 15, Ole Miss, two and a half point favorite against AM. The over/under I have three booth shots of DJ Durkin, <laughs> the former Ole Miss defensive coordinator, who, as Lane Kiffin said on the SEC teleconference on Wednesday, was somebody that Ole Miss wanted to keep, but they got outbid by AM. Kind of common theme with that program. Tell us how you really feel, Lane. Just we've talked about this before, and I don't mean to dump on Lane Kiffin, but it's like he does the we're so poor thing like once a freaking week, and I'm so sick of it, dude. I like I know that it's a dunk on AM, and I know it's like, oh, AM buys everybody, but it's like, bro, he keeps telling people, Oh, we just can't afford anything here at Ole Miss. Oh, uh, Nebraska, oh, Auburn. It's like, come on, bro. Like, I you could just say, Hey, that's my friend. I hope he has a great career, and that's it. You don't have to do the whole like they got money. Whatever. Anyway, who bid? Uh, who bid highest to get Zach Evans and Jackson Dart? And, exactly. Know. It's like you can't just then have these wins that we want to be happy about. Every time you lose, you go, "We, we were just never in it." Like, all right, bro. 
Yeah, I think that'll be one of those things five years from now that we look back and we're like, oh yeah, coaches were still kind of upset about this. They had a little <laughs> bit of a difficult time dealing with it. But yeah, that's yeah. that's the world that we're living in. Um, sadly, we did not get a Jimbo Fisher press conference to address all of that and go all scorched earth. That would have been great. I would have been here for that. Um, we also got a no comment from Jimbo about the three true freshmen who were suspended for a locker room incident before the South Carolina game. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many bad things one can do in a locker room before a football game that would warrant a suspension, but we've seen the rumors out there. What's been floated. Not going to say definitively, because I don't know definitively what happened. And I'm not going to say definitively that that's what, what that's indeed what happened, but take of that what you will. All right. Mm-hmm. Terrible week for a That's what this is. Just a terrible, awful, no good, very bad week for a program that spends way too much money to have a terrible, awful, no good, very bad week. Simple as that. You've got mm-hmm. people speculating about how much how much oil money is too much oil money. You've got this historic recruiting <laughs> class falling apart at the seams. And worst of all, you don't have a very good football team right now, and you don't have a very good football coach right now. Mm-hmm. For the sake of AM fans, I would love to be able to say, well, you know what? That atmosphere is going to be great. That'll overpower a visiting team. Atmosphere might be great, but wasn't enough to be able to will them to a win against App State. I wonder how well it can work against an Ole Miss team that might just decide to run the football 70 times to see if it can make 100,000 people disappear. They might. They very well could. Ole Miss is one of the, the, the last teams that I'd want to see if I'm a four-loss team that is reeling and suddenly questioning my commitment. If I'm a head coach, that seems like a really bad formula. And I'm not saying that that goes for everybody on the A&M defense or anything like that, which absolutely deserves better. And they've actually been pretty good this year. But this is bad for A&M because that defense could spend a whole lot of time on the field in the very likely event that AM can't string scoring drives together with a banged up Haynes King. I'm picking Ole Miss to win by two scores, but I'll admit that the only thing that kind of gives me a little bit of reservation is not knowing the status of AJ Finley and Troy Brown. No update on Ole Miss's two leading tacklers. We saw LSU kind of take over that game with those two sideline. How much mm-hmm. that made a difference? Ah, you know what? Maybe a little bit here or there. Those guys are definitely really important with what they do, but a game that LSU probably still wins convincingly. I will still take Ole Miss to get a nice bounce back win and continue the AM frustration. Will, how do you see this playing out? Yeah, so you know, I I would really love uh, to get like Lane Kiffin on a microphone uh, during this game would be uh, impossible, but even better. But afterward, and just ask him like schematically, what did you see from this offense? Because I remember the game in was that twenty twenty one against LSU, where after the game he was just like. Their defense didn't change. They just kept running cover three. And like I've said a lot about Lane Kiffin. One thing that I will not take away from Lane Kiffin is he is a purveyor of fine offenses. He is he is an offensive genius. You know what I'm saying? Say what you will about Lane Kiffin. He understands offense to a degree that is elite. And I would I just want to see his internal dialogue watching a a Jimbo Fisher offense and just like, oh, sweet, you're running. Run a stick again. Oh, ISO. Oh, mixing it up. Okay. And like, I feel like, I feel like he is just going to be cackling on the sidelines of this game, knowing Lane and the way he kind of thinks. And like, so it's, it's funny, man. Like, you know, you talked about the players getting suspended and everything. Like, that's a, just an example of, and we forget about it sometimes, especially being on this, like, 
you don't forget it. I forget it as just a person who doesn't cover college football. How much of the news in this sport is like completely things you shouldn't be able to talk about on a podcast? Like you see, it, it's probably challenging for you and your job because you probably can only talk about 20% of what you really see out there because there have been allegations of everything going on in that A&M locker room, but we can't say them because then it's like, well, you know, because it's not fair to these yeah, kids. Yeah, not incriminate them. Yeah, exactly. You know what I'm saying? And like, that's the point, like the message board thing. Every time something goes bad in college football, there's the shark stuff with uh, Mac. It's like, it's like, is this real? Oh, that, no, like, that it, happened. That was real. I no, 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 I know. But at the time, I'm talking about at the time. It Believe was just it. like, is this, is this a message board thing? Is this made up? But like, point being, like, it's one of those that time will have to tell. But you just gotta have to sit there and see how this whole thing is gonna play out. And with A and M, it's like, you know, talking about uh, the twelfth man and everything. It's so funny because I was thinking about it's like you have to build a college football team. And it's like you have an awesome home field. Check. You got a really nice like culture. You have like these people that are so bought in. Check. You have a national championship winning coach check you have like these nil these recruited classes check and it's like this is your team <laughs> it's like it's so funny to think like that atmosphere and the amount of letdowns that they have seen in person is just mind-blowing and they keep showing up like i'll give AM fans credit they do they are loud they are ready to go you know what i'm saying and so hopefully they have something fun to watch to your point i feel like a 2.5 point line is insane on this game i feel like lane if he's worth the salt that we all think he is even if he's trying to get another job even if he's Whatever he has going on in his life, this feels like a game that he's like, okay, that's the old t- style of coach used to hire. Here's why I'm the guy that is the future. You know what I'm saying? Period. So, yeah, I think this is going to be rough for him. A lot of fist pumps coming from Lane. I, oh, yeah. I, a lot of sideline fist pumps. He's, look, I love a fist pump. I do. <laughs> there, is nothing, <laughs> there, there is nothing like a fist pump. After making a big putt in golf, something like that, mm-hmm. Tiger fist bump. I mean, that's that's like as good as it gets. Mm-hmm. I think Lane's overdoing it a touch, <laughs> a touch, just a little bit. All right, like I get it. You get off to a great start. You schemed up a great play. You and Charlie Weiss Jr. You're doing your thing. You're cooking offensively. Maybe no fist pumps in the first quarter from Lane. I look. I, I get it. The juices are flowing. You're feeling good. Just, just wait till the third quarter. Just wait till the third quarter. Let out the fist bumps. He's very fist bump heavy this year. I've noticed that. Something to keep in mind. Maybe it's because he's like, he he lacks faith with certain elements of this offense. And then when something like that actually happens, he's like shocked. He's oh, like, oh my gosh, that actually works. <laughs> so I have already broken down the Jimbo spin zone for if A and M wins this one. Mm-hmm. If they win, and this is actually true. It'll be their third win against an AP top 15 team this year. Jimbo will cite that and make no mention of the fact that Miami and Arkansas are both unranked now in a combined two and five in conference play. Mm -hmm. And Miami has fallen off the wheels way more than Arkansas has, in my opinion. Jimbo will also say that A&M is a few plays away from being in the SEC title hunt, all because they had one score losses against Bama and South Carolina. He'll make no mention of the fact that he lost to App State, which I guess, look, technically, it's not keeping you out of the SEC title hunt. So point Jimbo on that one. Uh, they had the blowout loss at Mississippi State, which, look, I I don't know when that's ever acceptable if you're A&M. It shouldn't be, in my opinion. I, I'm not saying that to hate on Mississippi State, but considering what is spent here, what is spent there, that's, that's an L that you can't take in that emphatic of fashion, all right? And by the way, the only reason that South Carolina was a one-score game was because they scored a field goal with 13 seconds left. And they right, recovered the exactly. onside kick. Yeah, 
calling that calling that what Chris Gave is so because they were dominating that game at the end, and it was like, ah, you guys, like you got, well, is it Wigman or how's he? Is it Wigman? We say Wigman, but people like to say the grocery store because it's Wegmans, so it's kind of get it's <laughs> gonna get thrown out a little bit all over the place. He doesn't spell his first name right, which bothers me. Um, it should be two ends and an O instead of two ends and an E. So one strike off the bench without even checking in the game. Yeah, so, look, something I, to think about. I don't want to bury a kid before he plays actual college football, but you know that's not exactly working in his favor, if you know what I mean. I do think that if you're just going to continue to trot out Haynes King when he's not at 100%, mm-hmm. what are you afraid of, man? You're the king <laughs> of spin zones. Your right. spin zone is sitting right there. Your five-star spin zone. He's there, man. Nobody's going to fault young, you. Young kids, some reps they'll never forget. Okay, Championship mentality. You do it in the NFL all the time. These mm-hmm. guys who are like – these these teams who are you know two and five or something like that, then they bring in the rookie quarterback, and all of a sudden those seventeen to seven losses, all you spend talking about is oh you know we saw a lot of growth from our young quarterback. He only took two mm-hmm. sacks in this game. He avoided those costly mistakes. That spin zone's there. Jimbo's oh, got to yeah. realize that. Like look yourself in the mirror, Jimbo, and realize that you have this. Not only do you need a new offensive play caller at the end of the season, you need to get that. But for the rest of the season, just do yourself a favor. Turn it over to him. Let's see it. I'd love to see mm-hmm. it. But anyway, I think AM loses again. Okay. Regardless. <laughs> Spin zone not needed. Lock of the week. We are five and three now. Lock of the week. Roll. Uh, a little bit of beamer action. You know, early we were down. We were doubted, but we got the boys together. We called a timeout, went on yes. a little run. Yes, we are South Carolina. That, that's what we are. It ain't mm-hmm. always pretty, but that's that's the way that we get this done. Betting against Iowa, smart strategy. Pat on the back for that. All right. I'd really love to do it again because Kirk Ferentz is out here trying to dunk on reporters instead of realizing that nepotism is sending his program into the toilet. I'm officially out on Kirk after that hot garbage, by the way, if you didn't see the press conference. Um, terrible, terrible look to go back on reporters. Like, well, at least I don't have his job and I sleep better knowing that. Get out of here, man. Get out of here. Oh, gosh. But I cannot pull the trigger on Northwestern because, as we mentioned earlier, if you haven't won a game on this continent, I can't bet on you. That's just the way that works. Um, Michigan State, 22.5-point underdog at Michigan. It's a lost year for the Spartans. It is. A lot of people looking at that Mel Tucker deal. He's probably really thankful Jimbo Fisher's got his buyout numbers because it's kind of overshadowing the buyout yeah. numbers that he has. Um, I'm not saying that Michigan State's going to win. not saying that. But they always get up for this game. They almost always get up for this game. Harbaugh's three and four against Michigan State with the one blowout win. Everybody's mm-hmm. patting Michigan on the back. You know, the Penn State win, which, well, very impressive, sure. Um, they're like, ah, this offense is going to be so good this year with J.J. McCarthy. We're all in, even though they couldn't hit 35 points against Maryland, Iowa, or Indiana, whatever. I don't think Michigan dominates on the ground the way that some expect them to in this one, although obviously Blake Corum is having a phenomenal season. They're really, really good. But I just think Michigan State covers 22 and a half. Kind of similar vibes to Florida, Georgia. A little bit. A little bit there. Same exact spread, I believe, too. So rivalry. Yeah, 22 game. and a half. Yeah. Except not, not a neutral site game. Game at Michigan. Michigan State covers. Harbaugh's got the most chaotic trajectory in college football right now, right? Because he made the playoff for the first time last year. And then I get, he interviewed for the Vikings. That was one of those where it's like, again, like what I was saying, it's like you got to hear the story four different times to get the real version. I don't know what the total thing was. I don't know how, how that went, but well, he lost seen- his a. You've seen um, the Michael Scott trying to get the job at corporate, right? Yeah. It's that. that he, so he sold his condo on eBay. 
He lost Caddis. Caddis went to Miami. It was like, Miami's this program on the rise. They're coming up. And it's like, no, that was actually probably a bad crew decision for you. And Harbaugh is back. And they're still like on pace to make the playoff, not because they're necessarily great, but just simply because they don't play anybody. Not being mean, but it's like, if they get like, they're really good. They're fine, but I'm saying they have like one team on their schedule as per, like not a per, it's just the, the teams that you're usually scared of your Wisconsin's, your Michigan State's, your Iowa's. They're not really there, even Northwestern. Like you usually can get a game out of them. So point being, like they might still just sneak in with a close loss to Ohio State, and it's like it's like wait a minute, is this a actually really good coach? He's gotten them there twice. You know, it's like it's so funny because it's like does he want to be here or is he like a great coach that could be now. here forever? Nah, he's all in now. He's good. He's Michigan. Man. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Going anywhere. All right. He's going to be at Michigan for the next 30 years, and he's totally not going to wear out his welcome at some point because he's never done that at any place he's ever been. Um, but yeah, Michigan State, 22 and a half. Let's kick it to Chris Doring. CD and I talked about all things cocktail parties and Jalen Hyatt, and then some stuff about his career because he is the official receiver of the Saturday Down South podcast. So here is CD. Now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is Chris Doring. CD, I like to bust shops with you. I do. Um, yeah. You own the clown costume like few human beings could. And I, I'm not saying that to blow smoke. Like I would give you crap if you couldn't pull it off. You pulled it off and I don't know how. Oh man, I don't know how either. But I guess I got a lot of practice over the last uh, four years of losing that bet to Peter Burns. It's been a, a variety of different payoffs uh, to satisfy the uh, the Florida law losses that we've uh, had to LSU. But I'll say this. Um as much as I'd love to see PB have to do it, like I actually think it's funnier when I have to do it, just because you know I think I think there's a lot of people around the SEC network that take joy in me kind of being the butt of the jokes, and so for whatever reason, uh, it, it it somehow becomes funnier that way. I think I don't know. Well, I think it's I think it's good because you're the one you know you're well dressed. You're the one that's you know you you're you're the guy that's gonna always do whatever he can to look 10, 15 year, years younger than he exactly. actually is. Yeah. So people like seeing that guy humbled. So it's not yeah. just you, but it's it's like what you represent with your youthful glow about you. And by Thank the way, you. how many guys your age can show up to uh, a full day's worth of interviews rocking? That's like barely a tank top, what you're rocking this right is, now. This is Lulu. This is part of my Lulu collection, which I'm obsessed with Lululemon stuff. So um, yeah, I do. You know what? I, I refuse to work out with sleeves. Like, I don't know what it is. I, I feel restricted when I'm in the, in the gym. Yeah. I just came from the gym. We did hit some arms today, so this is maybe a little artificial pump that I got going, but uh, I appreciate the compliments, man. That means a lot for sure. When you were holding your dog this morning and Dari had the screenshot and and you're not flexing at all because- That was why pre-workout. That? that was before oh. the workout too, mind you. Okay. So pre-workout, did you have your usual uh, usual breakfast burrito that you have? Yeah, morning? I did. I did. I had the usual uh, bath in the morning followed by the- mm. uh, Jump on the air. Our break sets vary from three to three and a half minutes. So on the longer three and a half minutes, I'll grab a little bit of coffee, make the uh, the breakfast burrito with uh, turkey sausage and free range eggs, and then uh, hit that during the next break. So that's like I'm very regimented. I don't know where the rigidity comes from, but that is part of my everyday routine, man. You got the chickens in the backyard. Uh, no, man, those are, it, it comes made with free range eggs. So it's like one of the, I, I have to get you the brand, but it's, uh, it's good. I do have a, a friend that uh, just brought me, he, he came back from fishing out in the Gulf, brought me back some fresh, uh, grouper 
Oh, um, and he does also have chicken, so he will bring me some of his eggs that uh, that I consume quite frequently. I love fresh grouper. That is so fresh. good, really, yeah. really good. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's let's talk a little bit of cocktail party. Biggest spread for this game since spreads have been tracked since what, like the late nineties. Um, and I, I outlined earlier why I kind of think this, in a weird way, this sets up in a nice spot for Florida, because you actually, you know, you have a year one coach, you can kind of play loose. You're not playing for a division title or anything like that. Like you usually are in this game. I'm not saying the floor is going to win or anything crazy like that, but I actually kind of like the idea of the Florida defense getting that rest that they need because they're thin. That that's what we've realized at this point yeah. and being able to kind of show some promise against an up and down Georgia, Georgia offense. Do you, do you see this being a relatively close game? Ah, man, I, I would love to see it as a Florida graduate and uh, uh, a guy that's loved this program for my entire life. It's hard for me to come up with a scenario where I see Florida winning this game. They were close right before halftime last year. I mean, it was a 3 nothing game before the meltdown in the final two and a half minutes uh, led to a 24 nothing halftime deficit for the Gators. But I'll say this. I, um, I, I agree with you in that they can play loose. Um that's one of the things I think happens to Anthony Richardson is he gets tight. You know, they're, they're, I think he thinks a lot. And unfortunately, in sports, you have to be able to just react and not think. And when he's just reacting, he, he, he lets the athleticism take over. That's why I think it's better when you get him outside of the pocket. When you get him involved in the run game earlier, I think he starts feeling the flow a little bit, and I think it helps his passing game too. Uh, defensively, you're right. Florida is deficient on the defensive line. Uh, they're deficient in talent in general on that side of the ball. I went back and watched, and I, I know you're aware of this, Connor, but Florida's third down defense has been historically bad this year. Uh, they were 131st before last week. Somehow, Colorado, I think, gave up 7 of 11 on third down, and so they took over that that uh, that 131st spot. So Florida's 130th out of 131 teams in third down conversions allowed. And they're doing a good job on first and second down. The average this year on third down for Florida's defense has been 7.1 yards. Mm. Those are those are tough to to convert as an offense. I can tell you firsthand, but when I go back and look at it, it's one guy here or there breaking down. It's being in a good call but not playing the right technique, not keeping the right leverage, allowing one guy to make a play. So I if they can go back and have those those corrections made and be able to be on the same page and play great team defense, maybe they can actually hang around and, and be in the ball game into the fourth quarter. Then who knows what happens at that point. I think, and on the flip side of that, I think when Anthony Richardson, when we've seen him at his best, it's been in some of those third down spots. And obviously against Georgia, that's a different story, trying to convert that as opposed yeah. to against you know Utah and you know Tennessee, Tennessee pass defense that's really struggled a lot. But I look at this game and you know I wrote about this earlier in the week. I think this is going to be a reminder of why Anthony Richardson needs another year in school. And it's not fair to look at last year's game as like, oh, hey, he struggled against his Georgia defense, his first career start. Of course he did. But he is still so football young. And I think we're going to get reminders of that. And even if he does some ridiculous things, to me, whenever I see these you know, mock drafts and all this stuff with Anthony Richardson as like one of the first three, four, five quarterbacks off the board, I'm like, what, what are we doing here? Assuming that he is going to be ready to go into the NFL because I just don't necessarily see him getting the development that he needs. And he, to me, has become a prime, please just come back for another year type of guy. Who are these guys, by the way, that are putting some of these mock drafts together? I, I respect you know a lot. Mel Kuyper, I respect. Todd McShay, I respect. There's a lot of them. But then you see some of them. Remember last year, 
somebody came out preseason and said Emory Jones was going to be a top 15 selection. If I, you know, I know who that was. I'm not going to say who it was, though. Uh, well, I, yeah, again, <laughs> I, I respect everybody's take. I had a take that Kentucky was going to be 11 and one this year. I do, still do contest that if Will Levis plays against South Carolina, they probably win that game and that chance would still be on the board. But I, I think that the projections for uh, for Anthony Richardson purely off of athleticism. The guy has athleticism for days, but is he a quarterback? Is he a guy that can play within the structure of the system? That's the question. And I, I, I think you talk about coming back and play another year. I would be interested to see if the Florida coaching staff thinks that's what's best for the program's long-term development. Like how much if they had to change the playbook, how much if they had to simplify things, how much if they had to narrow what they typically would do to fit what Anthony Richardson, his eye maybe does best. I, I think that's a question that only the coaches can answer, but uh, it, who knows the conversations that'll go on after the season. Um, but I, I do think that this year's team, and we knew it in the preseason, was going to go as far as Anthony Richardson could take them. He was largely inconsistent when we saw him play last year. That's been continued this year. But if he can ever get that set of the peaks and valleys, get that thing evened out a little bit, he looks great when he has those those highs. Yeah, it's just the lows are too low at yeah. this point. Just, that would if that if that's killing a, a team that's not in contention for a division title, I can't imagine what that would do to an NFL team and those stakes. And they'd see one play like that and be like, okay, no, 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 no. The the UCF or the USF play rather, where he throws the interception in the end zone. Yeah. Just some of these mistakes where you're just like, you can't be doing that at mm-hmm. this point. He's still very football young. Um, on the Georgia side, I think there are some Georgia fans who are starting to wonder. All right, what, what if the receivers never really get right? And what if it is all tight ends all the time? And that's just kind of the way that the passing offense is built. Explain the difficulty of building a passing game around tight ends because there are teams that have done it to a certain extent. Utah is a team that's done it a lot. Speaking of you know the, the game that they played against Florida, but it's a really difficult thing to do and sustain even when you have tight ends as talented as the ones that are in Athens. Well, who, who scares you in that offense right now that can take the top off the defense? I mean, A.D. Mitchell's the guy that we've all been pointing to. Even Kirby Smart talked about it earlier in the season. Like, we got to get healthy. Talking about getting him back in the lineup, you can have a depth tight ends that are great receivers all you want but at the end of the day what you see is defense like was played against Mississippi State by Alabama on Saturday you keep everything in front of you there's no real fear you're going to get beat over the top you're able to contest the passes like Alabama did against Mississippi State 15 pass breakups in that ball game and go back and look at at Brock Bauer's stats we haven't talked about Brock Bauer as much since the South Carolina game point. You know, I mean his numbers have dwindled I'd, I could argue that there's nobody that wants to see A.D. Mitchell back more than what Brock Bowers does right now. So uh, again, uh, you have to have complimentary type guys. And I think going back to my days at Florida, you know, I was fortunate enough to play with Riedel Anthony and Ike Hilliard and Jacques Green. Those guys did something very different than what I did, but all of us woven together were nice compliments. And I think right now what you're seeing is a lot of one type of receiver for Georgia. Even even with Lad McConkey, he he's he's great in space. He's great on some of the quick screens not necessarily going to take the top off for you. They need A.D. Mitchell back worse than anybody other than maybe Jalen Carter. On a scale of one to, um, let's say 10 is, if Florida doesn't block this field goal, I've got to wear a full clown suit on Monday. Um, <laughs> how nervous are you that Jalen Hyatt is about to move past you on the single season SEC receiving touchdowns list? Because 
you're at number five. And uh, once you fall into like that number six territory, it's kind of like, ah, you know, what? you still got the, rec- the career number. That's yeah. that's good. But the single season mark, I mean, oh, oh it feels like it's just a matter of time before he's going to pass you. It's a good point that you bring up because most people, when they put graphics up, are going to put the top five. So you fall into number six, you're off the graphic. Exactly. So I, I appreciate. Actually, I didn't even realize that I was still in the top five. I let that one go long ago because I set the record. For in the same game against Florida State, senior day, my senior year, I caught a a touchdown that broke the record that uh, set the single season record at uh, at that time. I think that was my 16th touchdown, and then I caught uh, the 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 record breaker, which was the 30th. And so they actually, I caught another one later in the game, and there was an official that got hurt. He was out of the game. Maybe the greatest catch in my history of my Florida career. Fade, going out, want get the foot down. They call me out of bounds. There's no review at that point in time. That would have been 18, which Redell Anthony tied. You know, I, I end up catching one in the Next SEC year. title game. Yeah, I, I caught one in the SEC title game to take it to 18 and 31 for the career. Redell tied 18 the next year. And then obviously that's subsequently gone away. But I still contest that I that, that catch. If we're going to use two things should happen. If we're going to use bowl games in records now, that they should go back and give everybody's bowl stats to the guys that that when they yes. weren't counting those, and then w- if they're going to use review, we should go back and review some of those other ones that were clearly touchdowns, like that one was against Florida State. I, I'm a, I'm I'm there right there with you. In May, in June, I'll, I'll sign up for that project. Let yeah. me go back, find all those controversial plays that <laughs> you know what we'll add them to the totals. Well, we don't necessarily need to change the final scores, but we yeah. can just change the individual records just so that everybody gets their due. We have the exactly. technology to be able to do exactly. it. These games are on YouTube, so. But you're right. Hey, Jalen High has been on an absolute heater. I don't know if I've seen a run like that. I thought I had a good heater my senior year. 95 back-to-back Auburn-Georgia caught three against Auburn, caught three against Georgia. I thought that was a good run. But what uh, what Jalen Hyatt has done the last couple of weeks, maybe the weirdest number of all, six catches, five touchdowns, what, over 200 yards receiving. I don't know if I've ever heard a catch-to-touchdown ratio like that before. It was like the Randy Moss game, but better. Yeah. It was yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. I-, I always thought, like, is that – it started with Chris Carter, right? All he does is catch touchdowns. I, I never understood. Is that a compliment or kind of a backhanded compliment? I don't know. It's a, it's a little bit of both. I'd rather catch touchdowns than not personally, <laughs> but I think there's something to be said for you're not a possession receiver. You're not going to be a guy that's going to move the chains for us. But I think with Hyatt, the volume is still so good in that offense that he's been, I mean, he had the 11 catch game against yeah. Pitt. So it's not even just that, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's kind of both ways to look at it. In, in all seriousness though, Connor, like I, I hate that Cedric Tillman went down with the injury, but could that in a way not have been the best thing that possibly happened to this Tennessee offense with the development of Hyatt with uh, Ramel Keaton getting to step in, in the place of Cedric Tillman, you know, what's happened with Brew McCoy getting an opportunity a little bit more, even squirrel white starting to step up. Like when Cedric Tillman comes back, Again, I, I brag on my receiving core at Florida. Again, Ike, Riedel, Jaquez, Travis McGriff, myself. Like, I don't know that there was many that were as deep and talented as ours were, but I think this Tennessee group has a chance to be, you know, one of the best, if not the best, in the country this year. Yeah, and it'll be. I I think they're they would have to like go to a national championship to all of a sudden be compared to 2019 LSU or some True. of these great Bama receiving groups that we've seen in recent memory. But you know, it's interesting because I, I've. 
I've been asked about this subject about, you know, what, why has Jalen Hyatt been able to take off? And obviously the, the injury to Cedric Tillman that, you know, that's, that's part of it, but I, I, I wonder how much of this too is the mismatches that they've been able to get. And the fact that they're, they're just going to say, Hey, you're, you're going to stay in the slot. We, we want you to be able to get those mismatches for us. We're going to try and stretch the field. We're going to take advantage when we see somebody, you know, a safety that we know doesn't get have over the top help. We can just take advantage of that. And I give Josh Heupel and Alex Golish so much credit for being yeah. able to do that. And it's also seeing that work ethic that Cedric Tillman had last year and what that did for him and how it paid off for him in that offense and him kind of having that aha moment there. But, you know, what's your take on just why besides – just simply Cedric Tillman being out, like what specifically about him in this system running out of the slot, the way that he has, why has that allowed him to reach this level that even the most optimistic Hyatt person wouldn't have predicted in the preseason? Yeah. Well, a couple things. First and foremost, I love, you see it all the time. And I remember being on teams where guys hadn't done much, you know, had been uh, highly recruited, had a lot of potential. And all of a sudden, the switch flips for them and they figure it out or their sense of urgency kicks in. Like I think that happened for Ramel Keaton and for, for Jalen Hyatt, you know, two guys that were really talented that were highly recruited that were on the roster and, and maybe underachieved to some degree. You know, I think some of it had to do with Hendon hooker and Cedric Tillman, Valus Jones, those guys buying into the system last year and, and showing maybe what could be possible if you committed to, you know, learning the system and, and executing it the way that it's coached. Uh, you're right, though. Alex Golish and, and Josh Heupel have done a tremendous job of dictating coverage. Like, they, they with their the tempo usage, with the splits that they use, with the play calling and play design, with the switch releases, they dictate exactly the coverage that they want. How many times did we see DeMarco Hellams, a safety, trying to cover Jalen Hyatt? Like, that's Dad. a mismatch that should never happen, but... They knew exactly what they were doing. They knew how to get the coverage that they wanted. They knew how to to allow that to, to play out in their favor. But I also think, like sometimes, and, and even back when I was at Florida, you, there were there were players, Danny Warfel, you know, our receivers labeled as system guys. System guys is a is a slap in the face because you could argue that the system only works when you have the right players, when you have the skill set to be able to execute the system, and the system wasn't working before. Um, Hinden Hooker took over last year. Like the reason why it's working is because you have the right trigger man that you now have the pieces in place to be able to execute it. So the system and the players work hand in hand. I just credit that entire program to be where they were last year. Remember, Florida's lost. Florida's played, I think, 14 SEC games and they're three and eleven in their last 14 wins over Missouri, Vanderbilt, and ironically, Tennessee. To think where Tennessee was last year when Florida beat them back in September to where they are now, to where the two programs have gone in divergent paths. It, it, it's just a, a lot needs to be uh, credited to this coaching staff, to these players, and, and how it's all come together has been remarkable. That's big of you to admit. I'm proud of you. Look at that. I love it. Hey, <laughs> give Tennessee its flowers. And, and they deserve it. I mean, they hey, really I, do. Connor, I swear, I, it, it's been the weirdest phenomenon. You can, you can attest to this. Rarely would Florida fans or other SEC East fans say something nice about Tennessee. But outside of Tuscaloosa, I think everybody nationally has been in, like intrigued and cheering for this Tennessee because the story is so great. Like it's like, hey, we can't beat the bully up. But this guy who was right with us before, it's like it's like what was that uh, totally geek to totally chic movie back in the day? Like it, th these guys have become what we all want to be, and we're going to live vicariously through what they're able to do. I think it's it's been fun to watch, and it's been fun to watch 
Florida fans and and Georgia fans, not that they needed another buddy, buddy to take the bully out, but there's, I think everybody's kind of just enjoyed watching the success story in Knoxville. When you're in a crowded room of receivers like that, do you do anything special to your quarterback to make sure you're getting the ball? I mean, like, you know, Jalen Hyatt's got Cedric Tillman yeah. hopefully coming back. And, you know, is he like, all right, I'm going to make sure my guy Hendon, who's 24, going to be 25, I'm going to make sure his drink isn't empty at a party. I'm going to, oh. like, did you have things that you would do to work? besides just, oh, we're going to run routes together. We're going to, you know, you would sit next to him on the bus. I know you yeah. did that. But, like, were there other things that you would do to be like, all right, I got to make sure I'm always in his good graces because that rock, you know, he can throw to any one of those guys and he's going to, and he can still have a big time day. It's a good question. Uh, obviously, we, we had a lot of reps together, as all the receivers did with, with our quarterbacks. Um, on Friday practices, Danny and I would stay out late. We'd run the back of the end zone. He'd practice throwing it up high for me to go up and, and try to get it on a scramble play, which we ended up doing against South Carolina right before halftime in 95. So that paid off. But Danny and I, like you said, we're great friends, sat together on the bus. But uh, maybe more importantly, we roomed together on Friday nights in the hotel room. So we'd go through, we'd do our, our talking and visualizing and, and going over the play sheet, You know, talk about what he liked, what, what, what I expected. Um, and then maybe the most important thing when he would go to sleep, there'd be a lot of subliminal messaging at Chris Doring's open things that I'd whisper in the night, you know, <laughs> just so he would take it in and not even really know about, you know, what was happening in his mind. That's smart. That's like how you teach somebody <laughs> to learn a foreign language. It's immersion. Exactly. Uh, have you ever told a story about, uh, your dad, longtime Florida professor, by the way, who faxed 40 letters to other schools after Florida didn't offer you? I don't know if I've told the story, but you know, my dad then and now is my biggest fan and his biggest supporter. And, uh, I'm fortunate to come from a family who really believed in me. Both of my parents, when I went through the process of, of not actually getting a scholarship and having to walk on who you know, told me that I was good enough and, and paid for my schooling to be able to have the opportunity to live out my dream. Um, you know, my dad, even to a point of going overboard sometimes has uh, you know, done things at the college and professional level to try to get me opportunities, which I appreciate very much. But um, yeah, he, he, um, he would put, he's, I remember staying, he stayed up late putting together, you know, highlight videos. And back then it wasn't, you know, huddle. It wasn't, you know, drag and drop putting together highlights. It was, you know, cutting VHS tapes and sending them out. So, um, he did a lot to help me out. And, and really maybe the most important thing was, I, I was thinking about this the other day, Connor, I lived on, I lived on Southwest 20th street, a place in, in Gainesville where my parents still live. It was a dirt road, uh, before being paved as I got older, but I would wait until he would get home. My dad was a diligent worker in the college of pharmacy. He always stayed late. So it'd be later in the evenings when he would get home, I would anxiously await him to come home and throw the football with me or throw the baseball with me or, or be out and, 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 and just, uh, shooting hoops with me. He would always do that, had time for me. And, um, you know, I think that that, uh, certainly developed a passion for sports, developed a passion for Gator sports, which always took me to every single game, football, baseball, basketball, gymnastics. I was always, uh, in attendance and, and, you know, all of that influence helped me, uh, one, you know, the, the pursuit of playing two the belief that I was good enough, but three, the love of the university of Florida and what it meant to me to be a part of that program. And once I had the opportunity, I was never letting it go because of how instilled it was into the, the fabric of my soul. 
And the tomahawk chop was what scared you away from going to Florida State. Yeah, I was bitter after Florida didn't give me the uh, the scholarship offer that I thought I expected to uh, to get that I thought I deserved. Um, you know, we we went up on a, a recruiting visit to Tallahassee. You know, they offered me a, a preferred walk on spot like Florida did, um, almost as a as a backlash to being overlooked with the scholarship from Florida. I thought I was going to go up to Florida State. It's amazing how things work out, though, Connor. As you mentioned, I'm at a Florida Florida State game at uh, McKeithen Stadium um, here in Gainesville. They start doing the tomahawk chop, which I think we all outside of Tallahassee agree is very obnoxious. Um, and I just I knew at that moment I couldn't be a part of that. I knew in a, uh, at that moment that you know being a Gator meant too much to me. And and I, I think that's what's missing. Some Connor is that like these guys go to schools that they really don't necessarily have an allegiance to, and they look at it as a a stepping stone to getting to the NFL where for me, as much as I love the NFL and, and making money playing football for me, the goal was always to play at Florida. And the goal was to, you know, to, to have a chance to run out of that tunnel, catch a touchdown in, the, in, in, at what was Florida field, Ben Hill Griffin stadium at the time. And those things meant more to me. And, and I think therefore, you know, I was so much more invested in that, that I was able to resist the complacency and, and always keep pushing to, to try to do more just because of what it meant. I wish I wish more kids realized what what it truly means in the moment to be able to play at a school like Florida or Georgia or Tennessee or Alabama instead of looking at it as a as a a, a step to the next level. Did you ever run into Bobby Bowden afterwards? Because all he had to do was offer you a scholarship, and you probably would have been there, right? Yeah, I I don't even know if you know at that point in time I'm not sure Bobby knew a lot of the guys' names, you know, so I'm not sure that he would have necessarily yeah. known that either. There's a lot of I've run into coaches that were on staffs that were recruiting coordinators that, you know, have admitted to, to making a mistake. I, I remember, you know, that, that, that recruiting class that um, Florida state signed that year, there were guys that never really came to fruition that they gave a scholarship to that. They didn't give one to me. I mean, shit, who, who, what are we talking about? Like UCF didn't give me a scholarship. Wake Forest didn't give me a scholarship. Sherman. Like, no, nobody did. So it's not like, you know, we don't need to hold Florida state. You know, at fault. There were a lot of different schools that didn't see the potential in me. What about Kyle Lingerfeld? If I were you, I would have just sent that guy every single football well, I ever I'll caught let, in the end zone. I'll let you tell the story real quick because I, 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 you, you've read the story, I've heard the story, or what? I've I read two I read two stories before doing this, and this is the most prep I've ever done for one of our interviews. Um, <laughs> I read like an old Sports Illustrated story, and then I read an old uh, Chicago Tribune story where Spurrier said like like he didn't you know obviously you know certain guys on staff handle the walk-ons and all that stuff yeah and they were watching your film one day and lingerfeld comes like running into the office and says oh dorian kent he's never gonna play division one football this guy's he's wait you're wasting your time watching this guy and then spurrier in this in this story i think it was it was the sports illustrated story like before your senior day uh he's like yeah uh lingerfeld like that guy was gone next year. We yeah. we, were, we were done with him. Yeah. It, I, you know, I, what was so interesting about it was David Mitchell was our offensive coordinator at PK Young, my high school. And he was the one that took the tape over there. And like you said, there's a, a group that's responsible for looking at it. I think this Lingerfeld guy was one of them. Um, and uh, told David Mitchell, my coach, that he would never, I would never play there. Wasn't good enough to play division one. Um so it, Mitch, it's funny because it, he ended up being a grad assistant at Florida the very next year. And I think that's how it ended up getting back to Coach Spurrier. I don't remember exactly the story by it, but you know what, Connor, 
I, I can I guarantee in your life you can go back and name probably four or five people yep. that that meant a lot to your success because they doubted you. I mean, it, it, the the fuel that I was given by all the people that told me I wasn't good enough, that I wasn't fast enough, that I wasn't athletic enough, that to me drove me more than the people that encouraged me. I think we all need those doubters in our lives to to be able to to truly motivate us to achieve things that we might not otherwise be able to achieve. Okay, so let's tie it back to today. If Florida beats Georgia, you need to open SEC final with just a 20-second stare at Ben Watson. <laughs> Could we do that? You know what, though? Ben won is is become one of my great friends. Uh, he and I, very different in a lot of ways, but um, have, have been able to bond um, really well over the last year and a half. But I can't even fault him because I, I've, t- I've been the one that's like, dude, you guys got no chance of losing to us. And he's like, I've been burned too many times by Florida. I've never beaten Florida. I, I'm not taking that game for granted. So it's hard to talk trash to him about this. Like you want somebody to engage with you in a way where they're they're, they're not confident. Guy. Not at all. In this case, it's 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 ironic though because I, you've heard me tell the story before. I grew up a Gator fan that was never able to go over to the cocktail party because my parents always. It was disappointment every time that they we watched that game. I remember distinctly. We had season tickets, but never were able to get tickets to the, the game in Jacksonville because they expected to lose every year. And I remember Georgia games where my dad wouldn't even watch the second half. He'd go outside because Florida would be losing, or you'd have a chance to win, and Buck Blue would hit Lindsey Scott for a touchdown, or Herschel Walker's running all over you. That was my entire childhood. So beating Georgia was something that meant a lot more to me than I think a lot of other Gators because as we started to beat them, my five years there, we went 5-0. and oh. As we started to beat them, that rivalry took a back seat. Tennessee became more important. Florida State became more important. But I just looked today when we were talking about this on our show from 1990 through 2010, Florida went 18 and three over that period of time against Georgia. Hard to believe that that dominance existed. There were some good Georgia teams in that in that stretch. But for whatever reason, there's a mental side of it. And I think that's the thing that Florida has to get over right now is this this air of, all right, here's Georgia, here's Florida right now. And I know they beat them back in 2020. But that was with Kyle Trask, Kyle Pitts, Kadarius Tony. This team doesn't necessarily have that same sort of of uh, leadership and and ability. But every moment in a rivalry, there's a turning point, and I'm interested to see if and when that turning point takes place, where Florida actually believes that they can be on the same level as where Georgia is right now. Year three, you at least so? year three, I, I think so. Because if if Napier rounds rounds you know rounds up a top eight recruiting class, top seven recruiting class, you're not going to talk about true freshmen coming in and doing that. It's kind of like ah, year three is kind of where where I would set that bar. Not not even trying to set the stage for don't, for next don't, year. Hey, don't say that to Jimbo Fisher. Uh, but that that is a uh, a sore subject amongst Texas A and M fans right now. What isn't a sore subject among Texas A and M fans <laughs> right now? Seriously, goodness gracious. Uh, CD, this has been great. As always, man, appreciate the time. We'll talk soon. Yeah, always fun, man. Thanks, Connor. What's my destiny, Mom? You're going to have to figure that out for yourself. Life is a box of chocolates for us. You never know what you're going to get. Figuring out, we're talking home renovations. Will, you had an interesting uh, situation arise with your bathroom renovation. Tell everyone about what one does when a full t- full-size bathtub is just dumped off on one's front porch. 
Yes. So g- glad you asked, Connor, because I am a firsthand account. I, I am an understander of such things. So basically, I ordered a big tub because the renovation company told me I could fit a big tub, which I could. Um, but I ordered it from Wayfair, which is a, a company similar to ISIS. Don't, I mean, Wayfair, their customer service oh. is terrible. They are, I hate Wayfair so much right now, dude. They almost ruined my whole ba- bathroom. Right, but anyway. Is Overstock <laughs> as bad as Wayfair? Uh, I don't think so. I, I think it would be hard for me to imagine customer service worse than Wayfair, honestly. But like, point being, they they drop. I paid for in-room delivery, and they gave it to a shipping company that could not do that. So they just dropped this tub off on my street with like one dude who was a sweet boy. He was like in his forties. It was just me and him. And Brittany was like cracking up on the Zoom. She was like, "You look like Drew Brees out there." I was just like, "Look, buddy, we got to get through this together. We're gonna bring these up these stairs, and that's it." I have like five stairs front of my garage or in front of my uh my house just my little porch so we got it to the steps the five steps picked up this crate it was in and of course the people at wayfair packed it wrong so the crate came apart mm. so i'm like catching this tub and let's see they tell you that deadlifts don't do anything for you connor they lied nice. because i had to like soft catch this as if i was real muto from the phillies and just into the into the stance put it down but moral of the story is we I hired some dudes on Thumbtack. They were awesome. They like it was a 450 pound tub. So it took like three or four of us to like pick it up, put it in. But we figured it out. But I had a tub to your point on my steps for about six hours in the middle of the day. My neighbors were like craning their heads like, what is this psycho Cajun yeah. doing? Yeah. yeah, I would wonder that, too. I, I, think if <laughs> I saw a tub on a neighbor's porch. I would just be a little bit curious. I, I don't know how concerned I would be if that was a common occurrence. I'd be really concerned. But you know, mm-hmm. it just happens every once in a while. Miscommunications in this day and age of online ordering, stuff like that. Sometimes in room delivery, they're like, oh, hey, maybe you wanted a port, uh, a, a, you know, a porch tub, like a Levitra <laughs> commercial or something. We don't know. I don't know. Don't judge anybody. Levitra <laughs> commercial. And the be- I'll tell you one thing they couldn't do when they saw it was steal it. That was the last thing I was worried about. Because you could steal it. You could have it at that point, buddy. <laughs> you have earned it. Yes, Absolutely. Uh, I'm going to defer a little bit today because I, I am pretty unfamiliar with home renovations. My childhood home had a, a ton of those before my mom sold the house, but I didn't really live there for any of them other than we had, we had like a sun porch added when I was in elementary school. So it was kind of, you know, different part of the house, not really, you know, like living through it or anything like that. So my main experience with home renovations is just HGTV, watching other people do that stuff. So when we were buying a house a couple of years ago, I did not want a gut job because I didn't want to live through renovations. I didn't want to have that stress kind of looming over us, especially mm-hmm. during the fall when obviously a very busy time of year for us. Uh, I think home buying is stressful enough for first time buyers like we were at the time. And we looked at one house that had potential, but it just would have been a lot of upgrades needed in the the main living area. And yeah, I know like you can do the thing where you can get the new floors put in before you move in. Uh, But when it comes to knocking out walls, doing stuff in the kitchen, to me, that's just kind of a different beast. And not something that I was willing to take on at the time, unfortunately, did not have to with this house. But I would eventually like to have our kitchen redone, and we'll have to kind of make a decision about what to do with cabinets, all of those things. So we're going down that road eventually, but it's been mostly cosmetic uh, mm-hmm. cosmetic renovations for us so far. Have you done any non-bathroom renovations to your home? 
Well, you know what's crazy, Connor? I had that exact same thought process, but you know me, I'm Lior Jenkins. So I was just like, you know what? I'll take the fixer upper. And I got, I got really lucky because COVID hit, like, right? That's not lucky. That's obviously a bad thing. But it was the fact that I was stuck at home for a year in a fixer upper house. So I was oh, just yeah. like, you know what we're doing this weekend, babe? <laughs> we're going to fix this. We're going to fix this. We're going to do new landscaping. So I, that stuff that I thought would be like a 10 year thing, the stuff that we've done the last two years. But I mean, you, you like went to my house and if you had seen it the day I bought it versus when you came here, you would be like, how did y'all do? Because so much of this house was messed up when we bought it. It's, and it's one thing if it's, uh, you know, outside like backyard renovations, if you're doing landscape or something, that's, that's a little bit different because you can just kind of live within the comfort of your home. And you obviously you'd like to be able to change that. But when it's stuff that's essential to your basic living, bathroom, <laughs> kitchen, stuff like that. That to me is just like totally different. Like I, I, I visited um, my buddy, shout out my buddy Tilgis, who lives in San Francisco. And when we stayed with him, when we did our California road trip last last year and drove the coast and he's doing like all these different renovations because, you know, he works in construction. He knows that stuff. But to me, I just looked at that stuff and I got like secondhand stress from it. <laughs> I was like this, what if something goes wrong? What if the wiring's not right? Like the upside, great. But to me, I'm at that place. And maybe this is just, byproduct of my generation a little bit um, where I, I just like, Hey, you know, I'd rather just not deal with that or other of other people that, you know, that take that risk or something like that. And obviously we'll, we've done things to try and elevate our home because you want to be able to do that and upkeep it and all those things. But yeah, just the mm -hmm. major renovations, ah, not my thing, not my thing. Um, okay. So I asked the question Saturday down South podcast, Facebook group, have you dealt with home renovations? If so, any advice, would you ever move into a total gut job house? Would you consider yours a, a total gut job? Cause I, I don't remember you saying that. Not total gut job, but there, there were definitely the guy that had it before us, there were these hippies and they like grew their own food in the house and they were living without AC for like six months. Oh. And so do you remember that? I was just sweating profusely I remember for, like, that, yeah. for like the whole summer in Georgia. Cause I was like, I'm getting this fixed by warranty. I'm not budging, but yeah, I wouldn't say total. Like I didn't knock out walls or anything, but pretty much everything, but that was, <laughs> was broken. Yeah. No, look, I, I hear you. I think that's something that. Look, if you're willing to take that on, more power to you. I, Lauren was was one of those. Lauren would have absolutely taken on projects, and the house, the, the other house that we looked at, she was you know kind of similar to that. And you're just thinking to yourself about all the work that would have gone into it. And other people have the vision. I just don't have that. I just don't. And I wish I do. And I've tried to watch some HGTV to be able to get the vision. Not there yet. Just not there. Mm -hmm. All right. So we asked uh, also, what is the worst room in the home to renovate and any home renovation horror stories? Let's start with uh, Laura Doyle says, oof, this reminds me uh, I need to redo my bathroom. Who doesn't? If you have a bathroom in your home that you don't want to redo, uh, I think you're lying. I think everybody has at least one, right? Yeah. Give me about six months. I'll probably want the other one. <laughs> right. Nobody is Nobody's ever fully satisfied with their bathrooms ever. Right. And once you notice that thing that bothers you, it never stops bothering you. Shower tiles. There's, yep. there, there's something. Oh, yeah. We're not really feeling the walls. It's like subway tiles. Subway tiles would look really good, we think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's always that one. So, Laura, you're not alone. Don't worry about it. Do it another time. Uh, Sarthik says, what I've learned is that the necessary home repairs always come at the worst time. For example, a few weeks ago, I finally bought a new car and the day I was going to pick it up, our main water line ruptured and we had to oh, replace yeah. it and get landscapers to repave the entire sidewalk. Oh, that's a different kind of home rental that I haven't thought about as much. Oh, getting the main, having the main water line ruptured 
you realize how many different things that controls. Yeah. That, oh, talk about not appreciating something until you don't have it. Prime example. 100%. Water. Yeah. That's it. You're Water. like, I got to go somewhere because I need to hit the restroom. Yeah. Uh, not having running water in, in a restroom, like, you know, when you lose your power or something like that, you're not supposed to be running the water and doing that. You got to like put water in the bathtub just so that you can maybe have something to flush your toilets. We dealt with this with hurricane prep and all that, but didn't actually do it. Just talked about it. <laughs> but yeah, that, that sounds awful. Hopefully. Yeah. It does happen at the worst possible times. Of course. Like, Oh, we just have this nest egg for this home res- renovation. That's worked out perfectly. It's like, nah, you're just nah. going to do it because you have to, because something broke. That's the mm-hmm. way it works. Never on And then own. you go end up redoing it. Cause you're like, you know what? We need water right now, but then, then six months we will be back buddy. And we will yes. be victorious. We'll always be back. Jonathan Mason says biggest piece of advice, know when to use a professional. Yes. For yep. me, that is for any pressurized plumbing work and drywall finishing. Luckily no horror stories, but it's always a good idea to overestimate the amount of time a project is going to take. And trust me on this, no matter how good your list is, you will always end up running back down to Ace Hardware at least two more times before you are done. Oh Fact. yeah. There is th- th- going to Lowe's, going to Home Depot, like eating potato chips. Can't eat just one. Yep. Can't go just once. Never have, never will. If we go to Lowe's uh, on Friday after work or something, I'm like, I always say to Lauren, over under two more trips. <laughs> yes, I do over unders. She, she could take them or leave them. Mostly she <laughs> could leave them. Not a big fan. Uh, I yeah. love that because I've done that same thing with Brittany. And she's like, what is, do I pick one of these? Is yeah. this like this? Is like, like, you have to pick us. Anyway. <laughs> under, higher or lower? Higher uh, or lower? Up now. <laughs> yes. Uh, always knowing when to use a professional. Electrical. To me, that's when <laughs> I mess with that. No way. You can watch all the YouTube videos in the world, but that that stuff is fickle. I'm not out here trying to get electrocuted. We got a local electrician. Guy's name is Alex. Nice dude. We can call him up. He'd be here in 10 minutes. Be willing to take over, do whatever we would need to get done. If it's major electrical, the hardest of passes. No, sir. Lauren has done, she fixed our toilet. That's not really a home renovation. She fixed our toilet, which was running um, like kind of like just randomly our, our guest bathroom toilet here and somehow fixed it. It was like over the course of the day, but it was a major victory. Plumbing's plumbing's kind of tricky. It's really tricky. My father-in-law tried to explain it to me one time. I was like, I get why you would think this is easy for you. For me, no, <laughs> not so much. I can't repeat anything you just did, but I, I feel confident now that I could at least FaceTime you and you could help me out and I would feel better about that. But Lauren's probably going to end up doing it. That's the way that this works. Yeah. If you guys ever find yourself kind of like laughing at the older generation, you're like, oh, boomers, Facebook, everything. Start to talk to them about like plumbing. And you're mm. like, oh, oh, you are actually way smarter than me. I just, it's not about the same things at all because you can, you're a level four Facebook user and I may be like an eight, but at a 10 with plumbing, I might be a two and you might be an eight. <laughs> what a great skill to have. You can do plumbing. Talk about just having a trade, a trade <laughs> skill that you can do. People that install air conditioning units had a lot of air conditioning talk in the last uh, like month plus with with us getting a new unit installed. That's I don't really consider that a home renovation. That's just spending a large amount of money because you absolutely need it and you would right. cry if you had to go a day without it. Um, but yeah, dealing with or just having a trade and, and being able to to have something in the back pocket like that where you could. I mean, if that if that was your profession, that'd be one thing. But to just have that skill set, very, mm-hmm. very jealous. Because I clearly do not, just in case you couldn't tell from this. 
Yeah, my uh, my stepdad builds houses, and it's like the funniest thing. He's like a home builder, and he grew up like framing houses, and that was like his whole profession. Oh, he does it same same deal? Like level one out of ten Facebook user. I called him about painting my ceiling, and he made it seem like the easiest thing in the world. I was like, brother, <laughs> let's, let's thousand foot view here. Look at you, and look at me. How you think this is about to go? <laughs> yeah, those are actually sometimes the worst people to get advice from because they're like, ah, oh, yeah, it's no big deal. I've done this all the time here. Like, okay, I I I'm gonna need like the to pretend like I'm five. Okay. The, the, right. the line for Michael Scott explains me like, explain a surplus to be like I'm six. Uh, but yeah, this is, uh, this is an interesting one from Emery here. Cause he's got pictures as well. This is the last mm-hmm. one we'll do. Emery says we renovated the uh, kitchen slash dining room area in our last house, uh, about 400, 400 ish square feet. This is of the kitchen slash dining room. And I did all the work myself, ripped up the old tile, put down the new tile, my knees still hurt. Took out the old <laughs> countertops and installed the European black walnut butcher block. I got slabs, cut it to fit, uh, removed some cabinets to make the room feel bigger, painted the cabinets, walls and trim, put a large granite composite farmhouse sink. I love a farmhouse sink. Is the guy who oh, yeah. does dishes in our household. Man, I can't wait to get a farmhouse sink one day. Heard great mm-hmm. things about him. All of that took the better part of a year between uh, between life and waiting on the supplies. With all that, I would say the kitchen is the worst especially because while you're in the process of part of the project, you can't cook. Yes. Very true. Mm -hmm. Uh, I guess that's also my horror story. I'll post the pictures in the comments, some of the stuff. Yeah. This looks really good. Really, really good overhaul. Oh man. Dang. Put all that in. Unbelievable. Very impressive. You can rip up floors and actually do them the right way. The person who ripped up the floors in our home and put them in and installed them definitely did not consult a professional. Definitely did not do that in the most 100% (laughs) professional way we will not tell the people on zillow the fine people on zillow that one day but just know that could be our little secret somebody's gonna walk in and be like hey i'm a florida fan and i'm here to tell i need to look at this tile all right <laughs> i've been listening to your things. podcast for years yeah it's like ah oh, crap i just lost this three thousand dollars thank god so there's somebody in here talking about relationships and i would say this might just be a little bit more of a thing about life but like uh make sure you support your friends dreams and everything man because like i've gotten to a point where like all of my friends have incredibly diverse skill sets and like like emory is a great example he's a lad love him you know what i'm saying i know video editing podcasting stuff like that he obviously has a podcast too something like this i could call him up and we could have conversations if you if you look around your friend circle and you see a lot of people like you you need to get new people in your friend circle. And so like, that's the great thing is that I see like when every posted, I was like, I know exactly how this post is about to go. This is about to be beautiful Floyd. And I was right because that's the type of lad he is. And, and to the point about no one to bring in a professional, that's very true. Um, and I would say too, definitely price it out. Like definitely like get some people yes, in there. Good point. And, and as dumb as this sounds, get like, when you get a contractor in your house, you need to get a guy that you gel with because it's literally like a, 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 a quarterback center relationship where they're doing most of the work and you need to be, have someone who respects you when they get in your house. Yeah. Because I, we've had contractors that don't lately I, I've stuck with a couple of guys that I know like respect me and respect my point of view, because that's how you end up with people that are just like, ah, this guy didn't get it. Like I'm just going to do it my way. And so that's the thing. It's like, it's not about even people's like, obviously look at reviews and stuff, but it's more of like, if your personalities are fit, because you don't want a guy that you start 
to bother them. And you you never want, this is a key in life I've learned. You never want an upset person working on your home. No matter what no. you have to do to prevent that, if you got to make them some gumbo, a la my mom, yes. if you got to offer them some drinks, a la me, yep. if you got to, you know, whatever you got in your house, if you want to make them feel welcome, but you never want to be that guy that's like feeling like, you're micromanaging contractors or your buddy if you're all doing it together. You want to kind of have your big, like your big line items where you're like, I need to make sure this, 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 and this get done. And it's like, hey, if you want to check with me on this, if you want to get my opinion, that's great. But I trust you because we're on the same page. Like that's the big thing. It's not the most talented guy. It's the guy who doesn't think you're dumb for not doing it yourself. <laughs> yeah. Ring the doorbell if something comes up, knock on the door, just get right. my attention in some way, but don't just like sit there and awkwardly watch them. Lauren always says, like, you don't, you know, you don't have to like watch them. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know. Then I'll go away. That's my cue to, to stop. Right. Well, we had our AC unit installed. We had four different people that came out. We got quotes for all of them, just overall vibe, kind of how are we feeling like about mm -hmm. what they were trying to sell us, you know, the length of the job, just everything that kind of went into it. Are they, are they local? Are they a bigger company? Like all these different things. And obviously, you know, you want to be able to get price and all that stuff too, but yeah, do your mm -hmm. research. Don't just go based on like one review here, one review there all those different things. It helps figure out the entire process. And, you know, you talk about having different friends. I'm trying to get boat friends. I'm trying to get local boat <laughs> friends, local boat friends, I'm trying to get local bulldog friends. Just, mm -hmm. just in case I want to have a rough Wednesday, you know, yeah. having a rough Wednesday. I could really use a, just a couple of boops, just make myself feel a little better. Have, have a bulldog just ready and waiting. Hey, Jeremy, what up? Want to go to the dog park? You don't have a dog, I'm, Connor. I'm going through at work right now. <laughs> Can you just put your dog on the FaceTime? I just want to kind of boop his snoot virtually. That'd be great. Yeah, just, just whatever. Just, just send, send me some pics. All right, would you? <laughs> this is probably why I don't have a bulldog friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the thing. Like, you got to be real about yourself as a friend too. You got to like, what, what service can I provide for you? Big rec league sports guy. If you need a guy bowling, <laughs> golf, you know that's your thing. I think you have a pretty good voice. You don't. You have a choir, right? I was in bell choir for a little bit pre-pandemic and then, you know, being the only guy in there who was like under 50, <laughs> I was like, ah, you know, we kind of practice close space, not really willing to roll the dice in that one yet. That's uh, fair. Yeah. But was, you know what I'm saying? Pandemic you, activity. you can't be the guy who's always calling the friends for help. You got to right. be the guy who's a proposition guy. It's like, Hey, you know, you can come hang out. You know, we could, we could hit around the golf on me and then I could ask you about, you know, flooring reduce. Just have a good network guys. Just make friends with people. Cause it's massive and you don't want to ever do anything by yourself. Um, yeah. If you learn nothing today, make friends, Just make friends. Friends are good. Yeah. Speaking of friends, lad of the week, I got a good one for you. You'll appreciate this as an Atlanta mm -hmm. native. Matt Ryan. Oh, yeah. The guy gets benched for Sam Ellinger. We're back. He doesn't. <laughs> Matt Ryan doesn't have some cryptic post on social media. Doesn't do that because he's a grown adult. Instead, stands at his locker, swarm of reporters around him the next day, looks people in the eye. If you watch the video from people like my college buddy, Kevin Bowen, shout out to him. Field Yates was quote tweeting him. No big deal. You watch Matt Ryan say, yep, disappointed, but it's what's best for the team. Never demanded a trade or anything like that. He's like, I'm just, just here to help the guys win. That is how adults respond. And even though we kind of make fun of the cliche, like boring response, that's what adults do. And his career is probably over and he's probably really frustrated. And there are things where he's like, man, I feel like I can still do it. You know, even a couple weeks ago, he's still pretty good. But man, as a Bears fan, I would have done anything to have had a franchise quarterback like Matt Ryan as long as the Falcons had him and realize like now with the Colts, it's a different story, but mm -hmm. just an adult, it just kind of gets it. 
I don't know. I would have loved to have had that. Maybe I have one now. Justin Fields after Monday night. You know, people yeah. are saying, looking got good. Got, we got something here. But yeah, Matt Ryan, big fan. Always been kind of jealous of Fal- Falcons fans that they had. A guy like that just is the face of their franchise as long as they did. I would never be jealous of Falcons fans, Connor. However, I would say that I have always, <laughs> res- <laughs> I have always respected Matt Ryan, and it's so sad that one of my one of my coworkers <laughs> is a big Falcons fan. Same guy as the Auburn guy, and it's funny because our, our rivalries are like there. And I'm like, and it's like it, it, I was talking about the other day. It's like, dude, we grew up with these guys, like Breeze and Ryan, and they were, I mean, 2008 draft for Ryan and Breeze got there in 06, and it was just like. Every year, I think they were one of, if not the most common quarterback matchup in NFL history because they never miss games. Oh, yeah. And they were two games a year, like every year. And Cam Jordan, I know, has the most sacks on any quarterback in NFL. Like a player on a quarterback is Cam Jordan and Matt Ryan. Mm-hmm. And so, like, that just goes to show, like, how lucky we were. And we didn't, to your point about being a Bears fan, didn't really appreciate it at the time. And it makes me sad thinking about Drew Brees and how he left and kind of. You know, I'll say it. There are probably a lot of Bucks fans who listen. Went out sad. It's a fact. Drew Brees went out. The uh, home made me very sad at the time. And Matt Ryan, I hate to see it too, because to your point, he's a guy that I could never hate. You know, the Falcons have had plenty of players. And I'm like, ah, oh, this guy, whatever. Um, but well, Julio too. I've always loved Julio. I think he did things the right way. So the Falcons are weird. Uh, there's not a lot of Falcons I've ever really had like disrespect toward. I just didn't want want them to win. But you know, Matt Ryan's always been a first class guy. And it's, it's tough, man. It's tough what he's going through. So yeah, I think no dog, you know. Just, yeah. just an old puppy. It's just like, oh man, like you're, you're not doing anything wrong. You're not peeing all over the carpet or anything. You're just, but you just can't really move. We can't, we can't be having the same times that we once did. It's just, just sad. Just sad. That's Matt Ryan right now. If you, yeah, if you're an NFL team and you have even like a, like a Trevor Lawrence, like if you have a guy that could be a franchise quarterback Justin as Fields. uh as, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like if you have a guy <laughs> that you're excited about, you know what I'm saying? I mean, Justin Fields, is a fun, that picture of them in the rain is like one of the greatest things I've seen because they're just lads. Like, it's just like they were building together. We love to see that. It's like, definitely like be happy and don't, don't take the guy for granted. Um, Sorry. Now I'm like thinking about like that. Rivalry. Just makes me sad. <laughs> that was a really good line of the week. Cause it's Thank like, you. dang bro. Like that was, that was my childhood. But yeah, um, I know I talked about this a little bit on Sunday, but uh, my my lad of the week is Beamer. I kept thinking I knew of other ones. You were gonna pick Beamer. I knew. I, it. I dude, I kept thinking of other ones. I was like, I already talked about Beamer, but it's just so much went into that. And you talk about the childlike happiness. I know I already talked about it, but it just makes me so happy. This guy, you know, been all over the place. We joked about when he got hired. It's like, what type of coach is this guy? This guy's done. He's been the groundskeeper. He's sold popcorn. He's done everything in <laughs> yeah. coaching staffs. He's for like everybody. a little bit of, yeah. for everybody. He's been all over the place, and it's just so cool to see. Like I'm sure his dad, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's got to be like super proud of him and, and, and what he's done. And I think it's, I think it's super cool. And you see that juxtaposition of Jimbo and I know I beat up on Jimbo a lot, but that guy just represents kind of a death star in college football. It's like this level of a program or program as Jimbo would say. And I, I think for Beamer, it's just this, this young generation of coaches, man, is so exciting, especially in the sec. Um, I think you got guys, you know, it's crazy. Cause you have the guys like Saban and uh, Brian Kelly. And I guess Stoops is now in that category. He's getting a little bit older too. Um, a, a guy that we, that again, appreciate Mark Stoops, you know, as much as people want to no, appreciate him. He's been yep. amazing. Um, but point being, you kind of have the younger group of guys, Lynn Kiffin. Weirdly, I think Kirby fits into the younger group of guys because he's still a first time. People forget this guy's a first time head coach at Georgia. Um, that's what's insane about him. But point being, you know, it's kind of like this little, I hate to say changing of the guard, but it's like when you believe in yourself and your guys believe in you. And we talked about it after that Georgia game where he was just so like downtrodden and, and to, to have that team kind of ride the wave and, and, and for him to, you know, start, start dancing after the, after the Kentucky win. It's just, you love to see it. He's an easy guy to root for. And, and you made the point about PJ Fleck treatment. Maybe that'll happen eventually, but I, not this year. And not this year, I, might, yeah. I might make a post about that in the group, actually, just see what people's, because people are like, I've kind of, 
pseudo retired from being a hater and like i'll i'll be into somebody and people are like you like that guy maybe beamers like that but i love him i think he's awesome he's got some haters already and uh like i think he'll he'll build more if south carolina is good i think that's that's kind of what you do and you're you don't have to be for everyone and i i don't necessarily think shane beamer will be for everyone moving forward but that's fine. And he'll be for enough people to be able to, to sustain levels of success that they didn't have with the previous regime. And that's about all you can ask for when you hire a head coach. So yes, worthy choice. That of the week. We just love post-game vibes. That's what we're all about. Just the post-game vibes. Just You love a game that ends well. and it takes you somewhere. You know, it's yes. like, oh, we're all doing this together. Like, I don't like a soulless win. Like, that's kind of the thing that like, and, and not to like, not to like, you know, but we had this Alabama dynasty where they're just crushing all these teams. It's been great theater to watch this dominant team, but at the same time, like, you know, a lot of like the, the moments where Saban has showed his human side have been the best parts of it. And even Kirby giving the speeches and everything. And you love to watch the end of a game and have that coach come down. Uh, Jim load one of those games against Miami. If you remember where it's just like, we're all in this together. I just, that's the, my favorite part of college football. Amen. Amen. Week nine. Going to be great. Very, very excited. If you have not leave us a five-star review, subscribe, Join the Facebook group here named Red On Air with Figuring Out or Bold and Brush. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.